The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, this is Scott Norton, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Burial the Frost. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Lyman here with the young boy Josh Smith and Chris Samsa from SportOfProWrestling.com. On today's show, we'll preview Wrestle Kingdom 17 and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can find your official Keeping a Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com, frequently updated with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, Chris, how you guys doing, man? What's up? It's Wrestle Kingdom season. Let's go. There's- I had a, <clears throat> I had the the mic muted. So what was going on was, right before the show started, I realized I didn't take my vitamins today. So I'm drinking some alcohol. I figured in the name of health, I should add some vitamins to that. But then something went down the wrong pipe, and I, I started to choke. <laughs> Thank God I, I I gave myself the Heimlich, and I'm good. Um, do you? That's think what that you were doing. I thought we were doing something <laughs> completely different to that chair. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about not the chair, but like just the act of like seeing me visually take a bunch of pills. Like, what the what's going on there? <laughs> uh, gotta do keeping it strong, Sal. Better, uh, yeah. Better. <laughs> or get no, but, uh, is, there, is there any chance that like these vitamins will um, you know react poorly with vodka? I don't know. I don't think that's how vitamins work. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're supposed to mix those two. Well, you know, in the name of health. Um, yeah, it's cold outside. My feet are cold. But, Get uh, out of here. What? Bro, Talk- you, bro, it's freezing for, for it's Florida. Cold here. What's the temperature? It's like 32. It's freezing. That's 45 degrees warmer than it was here yesterday. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not a game of who's colder. It's just uh, I'm in a, it, I'm in a t-shirt. It's 40, yeah, but it's, it's 46 it's, it's, right now. But if, but if it rained right now, it would snow. Uh, it might. You're right. That that's cold, which is wild for you guys. 
And I was including you, Chris. I was saying we are cold, all of us, the collective group. I'll tell you what, I was very cold. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has. I haven't had to go out in something as cold as it was uh, a couple of days ago here in a very long time. Well, uh, there's, a, there's a reason they call it the Windy City, you know? That's not it, but okay. <laughs> No, but uh, it is cold. Our bodies are cold, but our uh, spirits are burning because we are gearing up. <laughs> what? Great. What? Great segue. Yeah. <laughs> you let me get through any of my my bits. Like what's no. going on? <laughs> I'm he- I I'm here for serious analysis of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Well, you know, we're gonna add a little bit of fighting spirit to that. We're we're weathering the storm and uh, we're gearing up for Wrestle Kingdom, not fake ass Wrestle Kingdom, not a double gold dash, not you know a third night in Yokohama Arena with Noah. The real Wrestle Kingdom. One night, all the titles, all the stars. Mercedes Monet can't wait. <laughs> well, before we get to that, two quick plugs. First of all, it's the last week to vote in our year end award so if you haven't done that yet please go ahead and vote the bout will close december 31st 11 59 p.m so get your votes in our six annual awards a lot of tight races right now in a ton of the categories so go ahead and get those ballots in right now chris will you share your ballot for the keeping it strong style awards uh i would have to vote in them Oh and, my and then God. and then I could share my ballot. So 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 you're big leaguing us. You're 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 a big enough name and stature ah. to vote in the Hall of Fame, but not in the Keeping It Strong style year end awards. I, I see how it is. I don't know how much you know about me, but I really <laughs> like to wait until the very last minute for anything. So what's the? It's the it's New Year's Eve. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, New Year's Eve is is a cutoff. I got five days, pal. Yeah, well, yeah. when I'm hypothetically, if you do vote, will you be sharing your ballot or no? Sure. You want me to? Oh, I absolutely. That'll I mean, yeah. That tells me exactly where we are. You won't share your Hall of Fame ballot, but you're comfortable sharing our ballot. So that tells me where we are in the pecking order. It's great. It's it's. I don't think it's really a pecking order. It's more of like, I don't want to deal with the mutants that want to talk about the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame that like don't me. really know what they're talking about, and I do want to deal with the nice find people that listen to keeping it strong style and oh, gotcha. have a productive discussion about new Japan pro wrestling. If you ever posted your hall of fame ballot, I would heckle it. I'd be like, where the fuck is big daddy? Where the fuck is big daddy? You'd have some questions. I'm sure you'd have some questions. <laughs> you didn't vote for wild bill Curry. This is blasphemous. Uh, other plug, our 2022 Christmas show, the FOH Draft, is now available on the Social Suplex Pay Hip. So if you go there, it's a uh, pay-what-you-want model. Leave us a little, a little taste, a little gift, and listen to uh, you know our one of the funnest podcasts of the year, the, the yeah, Christmas show. If you haven't show. given a listen to that show, do yourself a favor. Give yourself a little treat. Throw us a, a five, whatever. Go download the show. It's literally the funnest show you're going to listen to all year. Yep, so with that, now let's jump into Wrestle Kingdom preview season. Uh, so first, we've got to start with the Road to Tokyo Dome. We had two shows last week as the, the two go-home shows building up to Wrestle Kingdom 17, of course, coming up here on January 4th. So we'll start with night one. We'll just kind of do quick results and any kind of thoughts we have. I think we'll spend most of our time on night two's uh, main event 
but we'll run through the card uh, real quick here. So on night one, December 22nd, we had Francisco Akira defeating Kosei Vegeta, 8 minutes and 4 seconds. Aaron Hanare defeating Yuta Nakashima, 9 minutes 23 seconds. Great Okan defeating Ryo Oiwa at 8.43. Jeff Cobb defeating Tomioka Hanma, 8.53. Then we had the LIJ team of Sonata, Shingo, and Naito defeating Kojima, Umino, and Makabe at 11.51. Dangerous Techers teaming up for the last time in a straight-up tag team match, defeating... Jado and Renarita, 10 minutes and 41 seconds. Semi-main event, four-way tag team match. Desperado and Kanemaru defeated Bushi and Hiromu. Wato and Gucci and Gato and Taiji Ishimori, 848. And then the main event of this night, we had Kazuchika Okada, Yo and Hiroshi Tanahashi defeating Doki, Lance Archer, and Minoru Suzuki, 20 minutes and 51 seconds. Got anything, any thoughts from night one? Yeah, I got a few things. I mean, first off, I just want to say I really love these Road to Tokyo Dome type shows. Uh, in the past couple of years, they've been a little maybe weaker and less significant, um, especially in the COVID era than what we've been used to in the past. But they seem to get back on track. And these two um, shows in particular really seem to capture that fun sort of like preview, but... Also, we're going to throw some weird, funky stuff in there, sort of attitude. It's kind of like the part one to what we're going to get with New Year's Dash. Like, I, I think that these shows are kind of correlated in that way, and I always enjoy them. And I thought that these two shows in particular were very fun. Yeah, and and night one in particular, uh, the first four matches, those singles matches uh, mm-hmm. with United Empire, that was really that was really fun. A shame Jeff Cobb couldn't get in there with. Um, uh, Oscar, Luke. Oscar, yeah. Um, that was because, weird. They didn't explain it. Yeah, they did. He, uh, they he, did on the website. Okay. Um, but he, I don't. Pretty much, they did an announcement. But I mean, obviously, it was in Japanese. But I could, he said something about Oscar, and then he announced a new match. So he had Oscar, I believe, had COVID or some kind of flu. He, uh, he had a fever. Yeah. yeah. Mm, okay. Um, but Cobb versus Homa was great. It was. was yeah. <laughs> it was like underrated. I, good time. I think maybe for next year we might need to start considering the Hanma Mania Resurrection as a potential Fighting Spirit Award contender because this guy went from like a couple, like probably a year or two ago where we're like, he probably shouldn't be wrestling to where like he's starting to look better than Tanahashi. It's kind of weird. Like, I don't know what's going on. He's had some good like sub 10 minute matches too like mm-hmm. if he can get in there with one of the one of the regulars he'll go um as well as he can at least so, i mean yeah that one was really fun this is becoming a really fun class of young lions too um to see them and they're they're starting to come out of their shell and i don't some of that might be that um you know bushy road and the executives keep talking about moving people through the through the system a little faster and um you know, these guys are they're starting to have some personalities and it was fun to see yeah. them all them all get a, a singles match moment. Yeah, Nakashima rocking those little like little dreads, little braids, yeah, you know, mixing it up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a problematic or if it's just fine, whatever, but uh I really enjoyed the Aaron Hinare um Nakashima match in general. They went out there, they threw some bombs. Um Nakashima at one point did a I believe it was Nakashima, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but he did a uh Boston Crab and then uh, converted that to like the Tenzon awesome crab. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the Tenzon um, 
Boston Crab like variation, which I haven't seen anyone use that in a long time. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that was cool. Um, Great Ocon, first time seeing him as the the Rev Pro British Champion in Japan. Came with the out. sword. Yeah, this man's coming out with a, a sword now. <laughs> yeah, that was wild. Uh, but yeah, so it was fun. Yeah, seeing United Empire get some shine, especially since a lot of them won't be featured um, on the to- the main Tokyo Dome car. I'm sure Ocon Cobb will probably be in the Rambo. Uh, the six man that followed that awesome series of uh, singles matches don't have much to add there, but one thing that just stuck out to me significantly, and this was on both nights, was the interactions between Naito and Shota Umino. They seem to, you know, really be focusing on those two guys in particular. I, I understand they're obviously going to be facing off uh, at Wrestle Kingdom in the six man. But there seems to be a little bit more to it. Like Naito was giving him the business and like taking that man through the crowd, beating him on the uh, announce table and like taking him to school. Like I'm wondering if there's maybe potentially like a feud brewing. I don't know. Yeah, it does feel like that's a, a program that could that could grow. Um, and maybe that's maybe everyone's looking at that Wrestle Kingdom match and they think they know who's taking the pin and maybe it's going to be something different. Yeah, I definitely mm. feel they were planting seeds for more than just Wrestle Kingdom. I think yeah, after Wrestle Kingdom, that Umino's first you know program for the new year will be against Naito. But yeah, those... um, as far as the rest of the show, I mean, seeing Techers right off into the sunset was obviously bittersweet. Um, the four-way match was really wild, really crazy, and a lot of fun. And then the main event, I mean, Suzuki still at this age throws one of the best drop kicks in the entire <laughs> I love Suzuki's drop kick. <laughs> but uh I was disappointed. I kind of wanted to see Yo take a pinfall just cuz fuck it, it's Yo. But unfortunately, Suzuki Goon took the loss there, so yeah. But yeah, fun show. Uh moving on to the night 2 was December 23rd. Show opened up. We had House of Tortures, Show and Yudro defeating Jato and Yuto Nakashima at six minutes and two seconds. We had the Chaos team of Tomohiro Ishii and Toriyano defeating Kosei Vegeta and Rei Oiwa at nine minutes and 11 seconds. We had the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare, Francisco Okira, Great Okan, Jeff Cobb defeating Makabe, Hanma, Ren Narita, and Tiger Mask at 821. Then we had Hiromu and Shingo defeating the House of Torture team of Dick Togo and Evil at 849. And we had a question here from OKOK OK, OK, 890. Saying Shingo seemed kayfabe upset about being left off Wrestle Kingdom and has said he's done with the KOPW title. Do you think he's the most likely option to challenge the Wrestle Kingdom main event winner? I think that's definitely a possibility I hadn't really considered. Um, with some of the speculation, I, I don't remember exactly where it originated. I think I saw it speculated uh, originally from the guys over at uh, Wrestling Observer, but with the fact she goes off the one four show and then on one four, there's the Seattle show uh, in for AEW. I have seen speculation that maybe Shingo Takagi shows up for that show. That might be a possibility. It might be a, a good explanation for why he's not on wrestle kingdom at this current time. Other than that, I mean, if he's just in the Rambo, I feel like that's a misutilization, but he could be the guy that comes out and challenges at the end of the night. I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot happening with Sh- with Shingo. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of my my like read and my take on it is that I think um, I think there's space for a new unit right. with Suzuki Goon and and I I mean I don't know if 
Shingo or Takagi Goon is the is the play or is the move, but um, it's not a bad idea. He's playing some stuff up, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like his his promos are very much um, that he's upset and that he and then he went and wrestled in Dragon Gate and appeared mm-hmm. in Dragon Gate, and he's talking about getting out. And then he did the Takataichi show, so. I mean, reverse those. He did the Takataichi show first, but which is New Japan adjacent. Like I, I adjacent. I, I understand that, but like, still his, to get even out. His post match was a little bit well, backhanded towards New Japan as well. It's yeah. way more like salty. So like, very potentially, we're we're at minimum seeing kind of a heel leaning Shingo, and I think maybe there's a chance that he's gonna kind of put something together that he can lead. I think that's. I mean that that wouldn't surprise me at this point like the writing's kind of on the wall yeah that would be pretty cool yeah definitely upset about the whole like kopw trophy situation and feel like he was blindsided with that trophy and now he has to drop it because it's you know the new year and so yeah he was had a ton of frustrations that he was venting after that match with uh tai chi so yeah i mean potentially shingo leading a faction could be something interesting or angle but yeah maybe you know, after okada or who jay wins he comes out attacks them and you know leads us to new group I think the good thing here is we've got uh, quite a few opportunities for interesting things to happen with booking um, just over this whole period, whether it is that one for Seattle show or New Year's Dash or Wrestle Kingdom itself or the other Yokohama Wrestle Kingdom that's on the horizon or any kind of press conference that might happen between one four and, you know, one twenty three. So a lot can happen and we're, we're still kind of in the dark on a lot of things, which is fun. Yeah. So then, uh, fifth match of the night, we had Bishamon, Goto, and Yoshiashi defeating Tenkoji, 10 minutes and 11 seconds. Then we had Bushi, Sonata, and Naito defeating Tanahashi, Taguchi, and Umino, 10.56. <laughs> and then the semi-main event, we had Kuzucho Okada, Yo, and Master Wato defeating El Fantasmo, Gato, and Taiji Ishimori at 12.15. And then the big main event, the Suzuki-Goon farewell matchup, we had Doki, Taichi, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. Defeating El Esperado, Lance Archer, Marozuki, and Taka Michinoku. And leading to the, the end of Suzuki-gun in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Before we get to that, two things I just want to sort of point out. Number one, you know, with um, Tenkoji not being in Wrestle or in uh, the World Tag League, and then them sort of dropping a loss here to Bishamon, it really did feel sort of like a passing of the guard or passing the torch moment. Mm-hmm. And some of the interview comments that they made after the match uh, make it sound like this could be either the farewell or the first in a series of farewells for Tenkoji, which is like probably the most legendary heavyweight tag team in, you know, the last two decades for, you know, just Japanese wrestling in general. Yeah. Yeah, I caught that. I caught that too. And just um just the fact that it was a straight tag with those guys and it wasn't against the Lion the Young Alliance too. I mean, just that that booking, right? As soon as you right. see that, you start to think like Yeah, I mean, how many how much longer can can or should Tenzon keep keep doing this? You know, I mean right. like he's Not still much got longer. the <laughs> Yeah, and but he's still got the energy and he's still got the the crowd involvement and all that. Like he's such a showman. He's he's great in the role that he's in. Um, and Kojima, you know, he, he can still 
turn it on and go, which, you know, so I, I, I have to figure that if they're doing a, um, if they're kind of doing a send off, then, then it's probably because maybe we're going to see an announcement about Tenzon's retirement in that kind of late February retirement space, um, that, that they like to use. Yeah. Last, last thing I'll say before we discuss the main event, we'll probably talk about it more, but just the lack of Jay White involvement in either oh, yeah. of the Okada previews was very much noticed and very much felt and kind of weak. Yeah. But I, w- what I will say is that booking the Suzuki goon final mm. worked in their favor to distract people from the fact that Jay White wasn't there. Like that, that, that ends up being kind of the smart side of the, of the booking. Otherwise, what are you doing? Right? Like you're hyping up your double main event. Where to, where the guys because they're calling it a double main event. We're calling it a double main event with with Osprey and Omega. So at that point, then you've got you're promoting your double main event on the road to Tokyo Dome shows with neither pairing. Actually, only one of the four people involved, I believe. Right. That's that's a tough sell. Um. So they did a nice job distracting because the Suzuki Goon um final match was this i mean it's truly the story of of this weekend or you know the the end of last week the only thing i'll say to add to that is one of the matches needed to build one of them doesn't <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> well that well <laughs> yeah oh man yeah, but, but um, let's talk about this uh suzuki Goon final here so yeah last big matchup for suzuki Goon, um big eight man tag here what you guys think i love that they wrestled against each other yeah like i as soon as i saw i mean i tweeted about it too um that's yeah and that made the round so like that but that was such a cool that's cool booking too right like it's not like their generational rival or you know it's not a bullet club team or whatever like it was just them beating the hell out of each other which is kind of what they've been doing all year they've had these yeah. singles matches on the takataichi shows as, as well as in tournaments and in other places in, in new japan too and a lot of the matchups, the singles matchups that could be had from this group of eight guys have have happened this year, which is really neat, too. Um, but this was I mean, they nailed it. They did a great job. You could tell that the wrestlers were actually feeling things and it wasn't just being, you know, it, they, they weren't just building it up for the for the crowd like they actually, you know, I mean, these guys traveled together. They moved from right. promotion to promotion together like this is such an they are Suzuki Goon is such an interesting group and it makes it so hard to an- answer some of these questions about like where do some of these guys go because they really were just like a group of dudes that like to fight and like no no who cares if it's against each other or against someone else but you know they they like to get in there and mix it up and and just them then ending against each other um in a in an eight-man tag it, I mean, just so such good booking right there. I mean, I just I thought that was so great. And and the match itself was it was it was just it was your classic New Japan multi-man where like guys would tag in and tag out at the same time um, for the beginning of it. And then it just broke down. And then, even you know, eventually Zach gets the pin on Suzuki after yelling. Thank you, Suzuki. I mean, like what a what a moment. I mean, just like such a cool such a cool match. Yeah, kind of like what you mentioned there, uh, Chris, where 
not just this year, but throughout the entirety of the history of this unit, they've kind of been the anti-bullet club where when it comes to competition between a stable mates, it's always fierce. It's never something where they're playing games with one another. Even like the famous uh, no-touch match between, who was that? That was, uh, was that Desperado and, and uh, Taka? I can't remember. It might have been. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and even in that match, it wasn't like they were intentionally not trying to hit each other. It was like they were making every effort to land a blow on the other guy, and the other guy, they just kept um, missing. But, um, yeah, so because of that, like, it just seemed fitting the the very idea that they'd have all these guys go at one another because the spirit of competition is so fierce within Suzuki-Goon. And like you mentioned, Chris, I mean, this is more than just a kayfabe unit for presentation purposes these guys really are sort of like a family they they do travel together they are very good friends and everything like that and then i loved the layout of the match it wasn't very complicated like they did something that was really nice where every single time two guys were in the ring at least for about half the match everyone else would just stand on the floor they weren't on the apron looking for the tag they were kind of giving an opportunity for the guys in the ring to get the shine and they sort of like faced off based on different criteria. Like they had Taka and Doki, like the two bottom members of the group facing off. And then they had uh, Desperado and Kanemaru who were longtime tag team partners, you know, and that sort of mentor mentee relationship, both juniors, they faced off. And then they had Lance Archer and Zack Sabre Jr. who are both, you know, the Gaijin forces of the group face off with one another. And then obviously like, with Minoru Suzuki and Taichi, they're two of the founding members, but the only two guys that stayed consistently in the group for the whole entire iteration of the group's history. And the fact that Taichi's always played like the second in command, his right hand man, that sort of thing. So there was just a lot of like symbolism there amongst all of that, that was going on. But then it did break, break down. Like you mentioned, Chris, to your, uh, your standard New Japan multi-man where everybody came in, got their shit in. But then after they did the the big moment where everyone's down, all of a sudden, like, Suzuki gets up and he just starts fucking beating the piss out of every single everyone. person. In- <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Everybody, including his own teammates. It's like, bro, what are you doing yeah. right now? <laughs> yeah. And then the rest of the group's like, all right, fuck this. This man, we're, we're coming for his head. Like, we're taking his soul. It doesn't matter. And they all got their licks in and Suzuki just ate it up and just... And at the, and I was the only thing that I was sitting there thinking that I was like, why isn't the ref kicking these guys out of the <laughs> ring? But <laughs> they didn't do shit. Like, just, yeah. let, just let them like all be in the ring for the entirety of the last ten minutes of the match. But then, um, yeah, it became very fitting where everybody just like got their shit in on Suzuki, and then finally, like you mentioned, Zach gave him the Zach driver, gave him the message, and then one, two, three, and it was like. You know, I didn't get misty-eyed like a lot of people, but it, it, I felt it in my gut. I was like, damn, I really love this group. Like, this yep. is probably my favorite unit. I don't know why this had to be the group to go. Like, I love these guys. I don't want this to break up. But um, I can't really recall any other send-offs, even if there's a swerve later, even if there's, uh, you know, some sort of something else that happens between now and 1-5 that changes things. I've never seen a send-off for a unit in any promotion ever in history that I can think of that w- that felt this special or meaningful. So I thought it was really fantastic. And, you know, for me, I, we're not there yet. I guess next week we'll probably do it, but I think this is the easy, like 
pick for match of the month for December. And it's probably a, a heavy contender for tag team match of the year going into next year. Yeah, I, I loved everything about this matchup from the, the presentation. You know, everybody got their own entrance. They're, they're kind of mm, time to shine yeah. on the way to the ring. Like, like you guys mentioned, the, the whole layout and just kind of the formula of the matchup, just using those, you know, special relationships that people have with the layout of the match. And then, yeah, then the, the whole spot where Suzuki is going wild and, um, you know, hitting everybody and then everybody gets their stuff in. Of course, Tai Chi, he, he takes the, uh, the iron fingers from hell. Hits uh, Suzuki with that, you know, get get our uh, Iska representation, and then that yeah. was so ridiculous. That was so <laughs> dramatic and ridiculous and, and unnecessary and, be- and beautiful. It was yeah, great. I, I love it- I love Suzuki's sell of it. <laughs> but it was I think it was necessary because then Iska showed up, and now the right. Iron Fingers are no they're it's it's over, right? Like yeah. no wait, more wait, wait. Iron Fingers for Tai Chi, right? When I say unnecessary, I just mean like over the top. Like, <laughs> yeah. What, yeah, yeah, why, yeah. Why? 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 This that was their "I'm sorry, I love you" moment. Yeah. It was so funny. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. And Zach hits the Zach Driver. Thank you, Suzuki. We get the the snow falling in uh, Cork and Hall, and for the celebration, and then yeah, you know, post match, you know, each guy, you know, cuts their promo thanking Suzuki. Uh, like Chris mentioned, yeah, Iska did, you know, the wild man comes out of the crowd. The crowd's, like, freaking out. <laughs> Iska's roaming through the crowd. Uh, he comes, and he yeah, he steals the Iron Fingers. They do their one last, you know, salute with him as well. Yeah, he steals the Iron Finger and runs off. But, yeah, it's a great way to kind of send this group off. Great emotional. There were tons of people in the crowd that were crying uh, and, and sad about this group um, breaking up. And I heard that um, Triple H actually denied shelton x's you know request to be part of the 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 send-off for suzuki goon so take that i heard it from a very reliable source so take mm. that for what it's worth mm. <laughs> you know if, if this if this man really was about that life and really wanted to work with new japan he, so, he would have given us shelton benjamin you know what i'm saying i'm, I'm guessing you're saying too that uh court bauer stopped day boy smith jr from coming over to you, right? I heard that too. Well, those, very... ML, those MLW contracts are ironclad. They're ironclad. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way he could get out of that. <laughs> that. That one I get though, you know, because they they were consistent. But I mean, this guy, you know, he's gonna let you know Sasha Banks come here and work the program. <laughs> okay, he's gonna let Carl Anderson come over. He's gonna let Shinsuke go work, you know. The, but but he's not gonna let Shelton Benjamin do it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm just joking in case you guys didn't catch that. Um, yeah, it's funny. A lot of people probably didn't know he's part of Suzuki. I, you know, there's. I'm sure there's plenty of people that didn't know he ever wrestled in New Japan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But how about which, how about MVP was part of uh, Kojima Goon? How about MVP was the first Intercontinental Champion? <laughs> right. Yeah. Her business, like, business was running New Japan. <laughs> But um, yeah, I loved the the promos and the send off and you know the final moment and, and now everything just feels so. I mean, it's not even just this, but also you combine that with the the Taka Tai Chi stuff where they're like, yeah, this is the last time we're doing Taka Tai Chi, and then like Dangerous Techers are like, yeah, we're not gonna tag again, and then it's like, oh yeah, Miho Abe you're not going to follow me out to the ring anymore. So now it's like not even just the fact that they're all broken up, but like, I feel like a lot of revamps of characters is on the table as well. And maybe there will be a swerve where they'll regroup some of these guys into a new unit, but everything just is um, wide open and we don't know what's going to happen. 
Yeah, I think the the post match comments. There's a lot of interesting stuff there. You had Suzuki saying, you know, he, Suzuki, yeah, he's not yeah. giving up on winning the IWGP title. He's been chasing it, and he's going to keep chasing it. He's not going to retire until he wins the IWGP title. He says. Um, you had Zach. You mentioned Zach. He, Singh. he did leave an open door though, where he was like, all I. He's like any iteration of IWGP. He's like, I want IWGP, and I'm coming for all the champions. So that made me feel like, ideally, does he want to be the world champion? Sure, but like. Will he go for the U.S. title if necessary? Like, yes. you know, that's probably on the table, too. Yeah. And then, like you mentioned, Zach was saying, you know, Daniel Tickers, they're not teaming up anymore. And he wants Tai Chi, both of them, to, to achieve singles goals. Um, yeah, Lance Archer, you know, venting his frustrations with his booking in, in uh, AEW um, and wanting to be used more. So, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff um, coming out of those post-match comments. And we had a lot of questions here, too, kind of following up with this match. Uh, Reddit user OKOK890 says, With Suzuki-gun officially being gone with no Sabre Taichi-gun, do you think a new faction is likely? I heard theories about Zack maybe starting a faction with Narita, and someone suggested for Taichi to maybe spend some time in all Japan. What do you guys think is next for the former Suzuki-gun guys? I think they'll all end up aligning somewhere, not together. Um, maybe, Maybe together but not intentionally if that makes sense like i don't know if anyone's like sticking with anybody but i you know i think for a little while we're probably gonna see these guys kind of unfact yeah float around and and end up somewhere and and i don't doubt that some of these guys will end up doing some freelancing or showing up in all Japan or Noah or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, Cause this, this really did feel like the end of all these guys working together at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, these, again, these guys are such a ramshackle bunch that like, there's, there's no telling where there, there's nobody in the group that you're like, yeah, bullet club. And there's no one in the group that you're like, definitely a good guy. Send him to chaos. You know, like this is, it's, it's a weird mix. So I, I think we're in the midst of kind of a, a unit and generate of generational, like unit shift in new Japan, because I mean, add in the United empire, which is a really big deal. And, but you haven't really had a new unit or a, a group of new units that have kind of rivals within each other in a long time. You've got right. House, of, House of Torture, which is like a subunit of Bullet Club, which is kind of its own thing. But I, I think this is the beginning of a real shift in kind of the framework of New Japan. I think we're going to see some guys jump in units. Yeah, I think that because of the... The, the like domino effect of what has transpired here, it's going to cause a reshuffling of pretty much all the major groups in general. Um, I, I don't see how it could. I think a lot of people are wanting us to speculate and just be like, all right, Kanemaru is going to end up here. This person is going to appear as if all these groups will remain static. And just this group's dissolution is going to lead to people joining other groups or just a single unit, you know, forming. And I don't see it that way. I see that there's going to be uh, a ripple effect that goes throughout New Japan and cause a reshuffling of probably most of the major groups, especially the older stagnant ones like Chaos, like LIJ, and like Bullet Club. Um, so with that in mind, I think it's too difficult right now for me to give you guys a, a precise um, prediction about where I think every single individual member is going to end up. I am still kind of 
holding out hope that some of these guys will wind up in a unit together and that all this talk about them never working together is just kind of a swerve because I'm worried about a few of them like Tai Chi, Doki. Um, those are two of the guys in general where I'm like, they have a lot to offer, but there's, a, there's also, you know, things that go against them. And I'm, the company hasn't always shown all the, the highest vote of faith or confidence in those guys. And I'm like, where do they land? Like a Zack Sabre Jr., I'm not worried about him. A Lance Archer, I'm not really worried about him. But I'm like, what the fuck's going to happen to Doki? Like, <laughs> right, yeah. I don't want him to go back to Mexico. Like, I am legit <laughs> he's, worried. He's not so. going back. <laughs> um, yeah, Zach Saber, he's actually somebody I could see potentially just being Hontai and yeah. being a part of the, the New Japan home team. He's done a great job of getting over with the Japanese audience the last two years, you know, choosing to stay in Japan during the pandemic, learning the language. He's been cutting a lot more Japanese um, promos. And so he's somebody I can see, yeah, going going straight, you know, maybe not, you know, full-on clean baby face, but more of a, a fan favorite kind of guy, somebody who represents New Japan Home Army and getting a push that way into, into the main event scene more. Possibly. My only uh, retort to that is he's a gaijin, and there's been so few main top top of the end like main eventers that have ever been in Hontai that were also Westerners. I think it might be better for him to form a faction at that point, you know, cause I don't see him, you know, being the successor to Tanahashi. You know see, what I mean? A lot of people are saying like, Oh, Zach's going to start a unit. But then if you think about it, right, then you've got bullet club led by Jay white, you've got United empire led by Osprey. And then you've got something led by Zach Sabre jr. Too. I mean, and, and Tim is waiting in the wings in Hontai too. Hontai. Right. So that seems like a lot, right? But the, the, my thing with that is I think Zach's undeniable, which means I think that he needs to jump ahead of some of those guys, like a, <clears throat> Jay White. And that's why I think there'll be ripple effects potentially coming yeah. out of all of this. Sure. Are you... Do you think Zach goes to Bullet Club? I would love a Zach Sabre Jr. <laughs> <Bullet> Club. <laughs> if... If I mean, let's be honest, right? Jay ain't Jay ain't there, right? I don't know anything. I, like, I don't know anything either, but it feels I, like Jay I don't could know. literally I, leave the company and we'd be fine. I feel like Phantasmo out back. Yeah, I feel like Phantasmo is kind of in line to potentially. He's take, in line too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So um, next question, Scott Rand. We kind of answered this already. He said with Suzuki disbanding in brilliant fashion. What factions could you see them members joining? So we just kind of talked about that. You know, what'd be funny is if. Suzuki formed a new faction, <laughs> like a whole new, uh, completely unrelated, just random faction. Just like you know how there's like the Jericho Appreciation Society. Like he just formed his own group with guys that are going to help him win the title. Yeah, and he's like, you know, fuck those guys. They never actually did help me win the title. So I brought in some heavies, and then it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and they don't name it until they get to the backstage promo, and and he says. He, and someone asks him what the name is, and he says Suzuki Goon Two, <laughs> which is how Time Bomb Two was named from from Hiromu. He was like backstage promo. He's like looking around. He's like Time Bomb Two. He's like El Hijo de Suzuki Goon. <laughs> maybe Suzuki. he did. He did say that he found what he was looking for internationally. So oh, maybe he joins uh, JS. He did team with Jericho uh, Forbidden Door. J A S de Japón. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, at MCW11986 says, the send off for Suzuki Gun was brilliant, really well done. 
But NJPW fooled us with the Juice Robinson swerve when everyone believed he was done. Could this be another swerve? I think that there could potentially be a swerve. Not that I think they're all going to stay together and we missed it. That would be kind of fucked up if they did go that way. Um, It it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, Yeah. but I I could see a potential situation where it's like they did the beautiful send-off and then all of a sudden like something happens where these guys don't actually break up. They just fuck over Suzuki the way that a lot of people were speculating they could have done on that evening and, you know, send him off into the sunset to do us indie dates and freelance work and come back periodically. And then we do get a, a Tai Chi goon or a Zach goon, potentially something like that. I don't know. I think there's a chance that someone starts to put together their own unit and they start to recruit with the Suzuki goon guys, right? So say it's Tai Chi and he starts to recruit, you know, Doki or Kanemaru or whatever. And then, but then somebody meaningful or a meaningful group ends up going their separate way and tai chi has to you know fill it in with some other people something something like that i could see happening just keeping some of the gang together but it it really did feel like they were all gonna end up going their separate ways and i i don't think it's i don't think it's unlikely that some of these guys go out out of new japan completely i could see kanemaru and taka both potentially just being gone Kanemaru has been so good this year, though. Yeah, he's he is great, but he's yeah. also a guy that could raise his value in stock in other companies. Go if, with. And, 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 well, and, he, and, and he's hit a ceiling in New Japan. He's not going to go any higher. I was going to say he's a guy who has value in stock in other companies, too. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He can go back to Noah, do some uh, uh, one last, you know, big run there. So sure. Yeah. Uh, next last question here from Hawaiian Punch BB says, "What's well, Suzuki now disbanded? Could you see some of the members making outside appearances and other promotions in 2023?" Taichi and Carmona recently appeared on Jake Lee's final AJPW show. I could see Taichi mixing up on the heavyweight scene and Carmona mixing up with Junior. So we're just kind of talking about that. Most of these guys don't have actual contracts with New Japan to begin with. A lot of them are freelancers. So, yeah. Yeah, and you know this is the group of guys that have always acted like freelancers. So that's, I mean, and and I I don't know if it's that New Japan's more open to it or if they're just trying to keep everyone happy. But like some of these guys are starting to show up on a lot of other a lot of other cards, um, which wasn't the case for a little while. For a little while there, New Japan was very insular, and mm. and now we've we've seen them. I think maybe see the value of their guys getting out there and then coming back. Yeah. Um, so I do think we're going to see that specifically with some of these guys because they're, I, who knows, right. They may not have something to do for a little while. And then maybe when they come back, they're more exciting. Yeah. I think with the leadership change with Obari being more open to work with other promotions and this whole 50th year anniversary has all been about new Japan kind of working with other promotions in Japan and overseas. Uh, I think that's been a, a big help as uh, well for those guys doing other things. And so, yeah, I think we're going to see these guys, yeah, doing more all Japan stuff, doing no kind of showing up in, in random places and uh, being a lot of work. And I think another thing too, that's going to kind of force these guys into doing other stuff is we have these, this crop of new talents that are coming. You have your Narita's and your Umino's, you got, you know, Suji will be back soon and you Amora. And so you have all these young guys, plus, you know, the pipeline over in New Japan strong. You got guys that are waiting to come over there. New Japan has so much talent that's kind of waiting in the wings. You, we've talked about this before. You have to make room. Some of these older guys, they, they will have to 
either move, you know, being open in matches or kind of just be gone to make room for guys like Umino and Arita and Suji and Yamura and Coughlin and Kid and all these guys coming in. Yeah, yeah, trick. <laughs> I mean, that's a real thing, though, because these guys, like, where's Umino, right? Like, where's he going to align eventually, right? Narita. Um, I mean, any of, the, any of those guys, and there's such a good young crop of talent coming in, you need, like, a big pool of wrestlers that you can then start to, you know, segment out, right? Oxley. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Death Riders. I mean, I would love for him, yeah, well, I would love for Moxley to pop back up. You got to figure he will at some point, but but I there's there's a lot to work with in in the sense of kind of unaligned New Japan wrestlers and I think they needed to add a little bit to that so it didn't just become like this u- new unit with new guys, right? Like, you know, obviously they've got, you know, Narita and Umino already already functioning, already working, you know, big bigger programs. So, and then you've got you know, Suji and Yumura who are going to be back probably sooner than later. I mean, they've been out a year plus now. So that's another, you know, you, you got to figure that whole group is going to start to segment themselves out, which I think is going to be really fun to watch. The, the dirty little secret that a lot of, you know, Japanese wrestling fans don't like to acknowledge or admit, especially those that have affinity for these groups, is that typically the first or, you know, maybe second slash third generations of popular profitable successful factions are usually the best versions and then when it continues on year after year after year after year time and time and time again and then you have people leaving and coming in and introducing new leaders and new members over time it just gets watered down and becomes a shell of what it was once and this is pretty much across the board you look at it with the four horsemen you look at it with the NWO and DX and any, you, you know, you can name me the, the Freebirds. It doesn't matter what faction you give me. That's pretty much the case. And it is the case with Chaos and it is the case with Bullet Club. And one of the exceptions to the rule was Suzuki Goon. And that's mainly because it was pretty much the same primary guys the whole time. And so it's just that time. It's time now where it's like, I know you guys love these groups. You love the people involved in them. But it's time to shake things up and get rid of a lot of these groups and bring in new blood. And that's kind of what happened at the beginning of New Japan's boom period in 2011, 2012. And, you know, it's, a, it's been a decade. It's time. And I'm, I'm here for it. And I'm excited for it, actually. It really is starting to feel like a very fast um, cultural shift in New Japan. Like, and, and not to say that they're kicking the old guys out to pasture, but... I think they they recognize the need to create space, and some of these guys are just holding on for for dear life for a very long time. Um, and some of the yeah. units, some of the units are holding on for dear life for a very long time. So I think we're gonna see some pretty cataclysmic shifts in kind of the makeup of the New Japan roster and where they are lining over the next, say, 12 to 18 months. Like, I really am starting to feel that it's going to be this big period of kind of reset. Also, I mean, what's easier, funner, and, you know, better for a booker than to book breakups, shakeups, double turns, feuds? I mean, there's a lot of tools in the toolbox and, you know, toys to play with when you do stuff like that. Yeah, I know one of the biggest complaints for uh, New Japan booking, a lot of people say it's pretty been stagnant, no new stars, same matchups, same teams. Well, 
yeah, now we're getting a, a big shakeup here with Suzuki Gun being disbanded. We're getting all these new young lions coming back from excursion. We get the, the LA Dojo guys coming in. So yeah, definitely, like I said last week, the winds of change are, are coming in, in New Japan, and yeah, it's, it's exciting times right now. All right, and then, uh, one other piece of news that we got from the uh, Road Two shows was uh, the future of KOPW. So there's an announcement that was made that the KOPW trophy is being replaced by a title belt next year. And we had a question from Ghost of Doc Gonzo: Do you think the KOPW getting its own title belt indicates that the title will be taken more seriously, or will be the same thing with the new pa- with new packaging? Well, I mean, the one thing I will say is I wasn't asking for a new belt. I don't know how many people were asking for a new belt or for KOPW to even continue. (laughs) I kind of was thinking it was sort of like a a redundant prize at this point, sort of like the 24-7 title in WWE, and that we were on the precipice of them phasing it out, especially with them introducing new titles this year, like the new Strong Belts and the tv title and you know the women's title so it just kind of felt like you know we could phase this thing out but apparently we're going deeper into it we're going to get a new title belt which uh, i will just say i'm not a big fan of the design of this title the same way i haven't been for several of the recent belts that they've introduced uh as far as how seriously they take it i will say this they've taken kopw about as seriously as anyone could ask them to I mean, unless you really want to see them elevate it to a, a, a top-tier title. Um, but as far as what it's been slotted to do, they've had great matches, great feuds. I mean, two of the best feuds of the year, Shingo and Taichi and Shingo versus ELP, were kind of centered around that title. So I don't see what they could do to treat it better than they already have. It feels like they've kind of done that. Yeah, I think this year's, if you look at the kind of list of KOPW matches this year, they've a lot of them have actually been really good. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, once you get Toriano out of the picture, then it, it's been it's been fun. Um, I think Kings need crowns like that, I think, is is would have been the play is a crown that actually goes. Uh, so instead of an eagle, you wanted a crown on the belt? No, no, oh, I want an actual crown. Actual crown, yeah. For them to wear. Like the king of the ring. Like the king of pro wrestling. You want, should they, they need a scepter too and a rope? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Go as far as you want. <laughs> but I mean, it's a gimmick anyway. So like, why, yeah. why not roll with it? So sure. The belt is, it's clearly made by the same person that made the TV title. It looks very similar. Right. But they, they, it does seem like they're doing a strap color thing where they're trying to create these kind of IWGP strap color sec- separation, kind of like Stardom, kind of like, you know, some some other places have done in the past. So, um, WWE. Uh, not quite like that, but because they, there's a, like, brand specific. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, I would have done something different. I thought the trophy was cute. Um, but kind of unwieldy, so it didn't really like, didn't really work the way I think they wanted it to work. But I think they could have done something other than a belt. I mean, even look at look at like AEW with the dynamite diamond ring, and I know that's like an MJF gimmick, but like that's at least something interesting. And then you know they defend it annually or or whatever. It's a, it, it's at least something that's not a belt, but it's functional. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, like we're kind of stuck with 
KLPW, like the concept rolled out and they're just going to keep going with it. And it's kind of been evolving over time. And yeah, I think, you know, it's, it did start kind of like, you know, the, the Toriano comedy hour, the funny haha joke thing. And so obviously the trophy kind of worked with that in the way that it was booked. But I think like we saw this past year with uh, pretty much Shingo and Taichi's rivalry over KLPW this whole year, that kind of elevated KOPW and treated more seriously, even with the, the last match they just had at the Takataichi show, which you know got five from Dave Meltzer and been getting tons of praise from everybody else. Um, they, they, I think New Japan seeing, oh, we actually have, we actually could do something with this, and so I guess for them to, to be, for it to be more serious, they, they figured they had to transition it uh, to a title. Not a fan of them deciding the final KOPW tournament match, you know, at, at a. Um, you know, a produce show, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, now let's move into what the people came here for the big wrestle kingdom 17 preview. The, the biggest show of the year for new Japan pro wrestling. Like Josh mentioned earlier, we're back to a one night show, um, January 4th in the Tokyo dome. So, uh, we're going to start from the, the top of the card and work our way uh, down the bottom here. So we'll start with uh, double main event two for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. Switchblade Jay White defends against the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada. Okada won the G1 this year, which got him uh, the you know the right to challenge for the title at Wrestle Kingdom, and we know the the long history between Switchblade and Okada, starting with, with Jay coming in and being a part of Chaos and leading to Jay you know joining Bullet Club and the, the whole backstory and history between those two guys, and Jay pretty much having um, Okada's number, which has kind of been. The, the somewhat story they've been they've been trying to tell in the lack of build to this matchup. Yeah, so we're here, you know. Uh, we got Jay White. He's the champion. Uh, these guys have faced off on five separate occasions. There is a deep history, you know, considering that when Jay White first returned to the company back in 2018, he or yeah, like 2018, he was recruited into chaos by Okada and it was kind of foretold you and I, even though we're, we're teaming together, I have aspirations to usurp you and to pass you and we will eventually face off. So there was always a contentious relationship there. And, you know, it was kind of like, he's a heel, but he's our heel as far as Jay White goes. And as time went on, he did eventually screw Okada he left chaos. He joined the bull club. He became the leader. And then these two guys embarked on a feud that, you know, has been on and off over the, you know, past four or five years. And we've seen these guys have really great matches. We've also seen them have some, they've never had a bad match, but we've seen them have some, some matches that underperformed expectations as well, but all in all, it's, it's a good feud. But here we are in 2022, and the most recent battle between these guys was at Dominion back in June. And, you know, a lot of people were expecting Okada to go throughout the whole 50th anniversary year as the reigning champion. And as we predicted on this show, we thought Jay had a good shot at defeating him and taking that title, and he did. And ever since then, things have kind of felt really weird and in flux in the main event scene. I mean, Jay definitely had a strong G1 but I don't think that the new format with the four blocks 
lent itself to him having a truly dominant or worthwhile showing in the G1 the way maybe like a Kenny Omega or AJ Styles were able to in the exact same position where they just won it at, you know, at Dominion just before entering the G1 as champion. That hasn't helped. I I also don't think that him taking time off between the G1 and uh, basically now has helped his his uh, argument for having a strong title reign. We haven't seen, aside from the Tamatonga defense, there's been no other major programs that he's had whatsoever. And then on the opposite end, you've got Okada, who did win the G1, obviously, but and he, he had a great match with Jonah. But since that time, things have just felt very much flat because he made the proclamation as soon as he won the G1 that I'm going to defend this briefcase no times i'm not going to have a briefcase i'm just going to waltz into the title scene and we've kind of been proponents of them trying that out here for a few years for a variety of reasons but the 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 argument against it has always been well what do you do from august to january and we've seen that play out in real time like he had a great feud with jonah but okada has felt somewhat cold jay white's been missing there's been very little build very few preview, preview matches, and even considering the rich history these two guys have, there's really not much heat between the two of them going into this title match, and there's been no promos, no face-to-face, no uh, press conferences, no attacks, no, nothing on the outside, no war, war of words in the media, nothing at all that you can really speak of. And I, I obviously, there is a lot to blame when it comes to the booking, the creative side of things. But let's keep it a buck. New Japan is a company that gives these guys a lot of free reign and free will to build and do these types of things on their own as well. And there's been very little um, impetus from either of these two guys to go out there and really try to do anything to promote the match, which, sure, they're doing pretty good business as far as the attendance goes. So there's definitely a market of people that want to see it. But at the same time, as far as me as just a fan of the company, this has got to be in the territory as like literally one of the weakest one four main events, not from a talent standpoint, but just from an anticipation and a build. One of the weakest one four Tokyo domain events ever in the history of New Japan going all the way back to 1992, period. Yeah, my uh, my pal Jay Michael he hangs out over in Voices Wrestling. And he looked it up and he said, so Kenny as the champ in 2018 made 13 appearances in Japan between the G1 and Road to Wrestle Kingdom. Jay White has made six. So that's not a good ratio when you think about what ended up happening with Kenny Omega then. Right. Um, and, you know, who knows what the comparison will end up being, right? Like, I don't even want to speculate on what Jay's going to do after Wrestle Kingdom because that's an annual event for New Japan fans these, these days. But, I mean, the man just ain't there. And that's, that's, I don't know. That, that doesn't sit all that well with me when I'm looking at, you know, you're the champion and you're, yeah, people that pay attention to wrestling. I've talked to people who pay attention to wrestling on a global scale and they're like, oh, Okada's not the champ, is he? Like, you forget that Jay White's the champion. Yep. And that that's a problem when he's the he's going to be carrying the belt into the main event at the Tokyo Dome. So, 
you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the story is. I don't know what's going on. I, you know, I, I don't want to speculate on any of that, but as a, as a viewer and enjoyer of the product, like you want the champion to be a little more present than that. Um, you know, on my end, the story of this match is about main event records, right? So Kazuchika Okada is six and three in singles matches in Tokyo Dome main events. If he wins, he will tie Tanahashi with the most Tokyo Dome main event victories with seven, um, which is something you figure he's going to be that guy that ends up that way. Um, but that's something worth noting and worth, you know, being attentive to because that puts him, you know, at the at the tippy top of, of the world of New Japan. And then Jay White, 0-1 in the main event in the Tokyo Dome, right? So, like, that's kind of his story for me is can he win a main event at the Tokyo Dome? So um, the match will be objectively great. Like, I have no doubt about it that if you look back at the match in even like two years, it's going to be one that you watch and you think, wow, this was a really good pro wrestling match. Cause you're going to forget all about the fact that it felt cold going into it. Or you, maybe you never knew that because you're, you know, playing catch up and you're not watching road two shows looking for Jay white to pop up. So that, you know, I think that's kind of what they're banking on. And these guys, they can go together. They're going to have a great time. You know, they're going to, it's going to be a good match. It's going to be an Epic. You know, I think there could be a swerve at the end of it. I think everyone thinks LOL Okada wins. And I don't think that that's that much of a, a, a sure, a slam dunk. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, if I had to, you know, gun to my head, if I had to make a bet, it's Okada's going to win. But I think it's quite the swerve if Jay White ends up winning, which I think could be an interesting play, especially if we're going to see a big shakeup and you need Jay White there to start recruiting. Yeah, I mean, that could be a, definitely a, a big thing that happens. Cause, I mean, that's been the whole story that they've been trying to tell with this feud. I mean, right now they're they're four and one in their singles records with Jay White um, having the, the advantage beating Okada four times and Okada only beating Jay once. So there is that, you know, that history there. Then plus at the, the tag league finals, you had that visual pinfall of Jay White versus uh, pinning Okada. So clearly that they're trying to establish, you know, Jay is clearly the dominant one in this feud and they could pull that upset and, and Jay win in the main event at Tokyo Dome to set whatever they're saying up. Um, but like you, I, I'm very, I'm more leaning towards Okada winning and regaining the title to kick off what's, what's going to happen next. And with hindsight being 2020, I kind of feel like they should have maybe flopped some booking here. Maybe Jay White should have won the G1 and Okada should have just continued being the champion all year since he was the one that was going to to be there ha- and he could have had more defenses where you, you kind of have Jay winning the G1. I think it, it probably would have worked out better with Jay kind of pulling Okada's line of like, I won the G1, so I'm not defending this briefcase. You know, right. I, this is my era. I'm going to keep the briefcase. I'm not defending it. I'm not going to show up in Japan until it's time for Wrestle Kingdom. And I think with him being a heel, you get some more heat that way. Like, oh, man, he's not defending the briefcase. Like, he's ch- changing things up. I think that could have added some more, a little bit more intrigue versus having Jay as a champion, only having one defense against Tama. You know, normally you mentioned, Chris, you mentioned Kenny. You know, Kenny had that defense against Ishii in September. Like, we didn't get like, a September defense from Jay. Um, so just his lack of involvement in appearances. And of course, yeah, he was doing New Japan strong, but how many people are really watching uh, New Japan Strong. There's only so much you can do to build up an angle with Okada on New Japan Strong. Um, so, yeah, so a, a lot of missteps there just with Jay just not being 
whatever reason available or wanting to, I don't know, coming into the country. Um, and so I, I feel like, you know, Gato's probably doing the best he could with the availability that Jay had. But yeah, I definitely think this whole thing could have played out better if Jay was the, the G1 champ and Okada was coming in as the defending IWGP champion. Possibly. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I mean, um, and, and that makes a lot of sense, Jeremy. My, my biggest thing is this is the main event of the biggest show of the year. So there needs to be a suitable amount of build and anticipation, regardless of how talented the two principals involved are, regardless of how skilled they might be or how good the match is going to be. I mean, these guys have never had anything rated less than four stars. So, you know, given the platform and, and the opportunity, it's probably going to be very good. But, you know, that alone isn't enough for people to feel compelled to want to watch that match. This Wrestle Kingdom, in a lot of ways, felt kind of dry before they announced Osprey and Omega, which for the Western audience truly does feel like the major main event of the evening. And, you know, this doesn't feel to me, I mean, this doesn't feel anywhere like in the stratosphere of other contested, you know, in situations where there have been contested main event statuses, like the two times with Okada and Naito, those were still really high profile, important matches with a lot of build. This is not that. I mean, we didn't see these guys go face to face or do anything, any of the stuff I mentioned earlier. So uh, that's a big drag for me as a fan, just watching it. Um, It's not enough, you know, and that's the thing. A lot of people who don't know a lot about New Japan complain like, oh, there's no stories. Well, there's a lot of stories. And this is a prime example of what happens when there is a lack of story. You know, they talk about it like it's UWFI or like, (laughs) you know, 1970s, uh, world of sport, you know, television wrestling. And that's not what new Japan is. Like there's clearly builds, there's clearly programs and promos and all that. And that's just been severely lacking. And, you know, Chris, I know you said you're not willing to speculate, but to me, to me, I am willing to speculate. This feels like Jay White's on his way out. Uh, Maybe he's not, but to me, it just feels like that. And so much so that like, even if they swerved it, and did decide to have him win or do something further with him, it'd have to be fucking incredible to really get me back in in a place to uh, invest in this guy anymore. Not that he's not, uh, you know, top tier A plus talent. He obviously is, but we're at the point where it's like, he's kind of irrelevant in the main event scene right now. And has been for a lot of the pandemic era. And I don't know if the motivation on either side is there to utilize him and push him the way that he needs to be pushed it, for, for my money, because there's so much talent coming up. They might want to let him go to greener pasture at this point, if he's not, and they're not willing to utilize him in a better manner. Um, so I, I don't think it would, I I'm at the point where I don't even think it would be interesting to have him beat Okada. I feel like it would actually be detrimental to business unless, unless they have something really substantial for Jay White, something that's going to like turn the industry on its head, make him the biggest thing that's going right now. And people are going to be like, holy fuck. If they're not willing to do that, if it's just he beats Okada and then someone comes out and challenges him and then we're, we're off to, you know, Yokohama or new beginning, that's not going to cut it. If he beats Okada, I'm going to be like, damn, like this company is making some bad business decisions (laughs) at this point. But what if he beats Okada and Omega walks out? 
you could do that, but I here's the problem. Because that's business for a partner, right? That you do that, you do that in America then. Sure. And you could do that, but what's gonna be bigger business in the US and in Japan? Sure. It's oh, always I hear gonna you. be Okada Omega. Like we're at the point where like there was a time where Jay White and Omega would have done like a year and a half ago would have sure. done much oh, bigger yeah. business than it will right now. So this is not the time to strike on that. This is the wrong time to have him beat o- o- Okada and then get challenged by Omega. They would actually be making less money doing it that way. He needs something that heats him up the way that they like. He needs like an MJF level pr- like pipe bomb promo or something crazy. But he did that. He's done relevant. that. He's done the post Wrestle Kingdom promo and-, and they fucked it up. Yeah, they without a doubt they fucked it up royally without like, a doubt. So that's what. Bad. So what? Who are we to trust that again? Because right. we know he we know he can do it, and it was right. awesome. And it he it did it heated him up, and he was the the hottest talent going. And then he showed up at Cork and Hall for right. nothing. Yeah. And that's why I keep saying on both sides because it's not all on him. A lot of it is the creative. Sure. And if I would, I'm, I'm sure a guy like him is probably frustrated, giving all the things that we've heard that have gone on over the pandemic era with the company, and then the follow up creative after he made himself the hottest thing in wrestling for a few weeks, and then he comes back to crickets because they didn't have any. I mean, they paired him up with Ishii, which Ishii is great, but he should have been doing something to actually push the business forward, and they didn't give him the opportunity to do that. So it's not all him. It, a lot of it is the company. Yeah. We had some uh, questions here. Okay. Okay. 890 says if Okada wins, do you expect him to be holding it long? And do you want him to hold it long? Who would you fancy but could take the belt off Okada? Same for if Jay wins. Oh yeah. This is something I've been saying for a few weeks now. And I think it's time for me to kind of unveil it on the show. I think now specifically is the time that you turn Kazushka Okada full-fledged heel. I don't, I'm not going to like speculate beyond that. What needs to happen as far as face alignments of his group or, you know, leadership of blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But like to me with all the young talent that's coming up and, and the shades of gray, how there's so few true heels outside of Jay White now is the time, in my opinion, if you really want to do something, like if you want to make Okada interesting again, now's the time you turn him full-fledged heel, a heel run with him at the top. It's been a very long time that any heel on a major scale or level has held the title for a prolonged period in New Japan. And I think that they have a lot of babyface-aligned guys that could become fresh challengers, like even guys he's faced in the past, like Naito or Tanahashi, but then you also have Shoto Mino, you got Zack Sabre Jr., and the list goes on and on. There's a bunch of people, and I feel like putting him in that kind of position where like he's sort of like a Jumbo Saruta-type figurehead, and he but he's a dick, and he knows it, and he's leaning into it, would probably be one of the smartest booking decisions you can make at this current time. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but like if I was Gato, and I was putting Okada on top at you know, the memorial for, for, uh, for, uh, what's wrong with me? Inoki. Inoki. For Inoki. 
I'd have him cut a fucking heel promo about how Anoki was never really that good. And he's been light years beyond Anoki the whole time <laughs> and, and garner that kind of heat and just enrage the people and like set himself up as like, yeah, like I'm the guy I've been the fucking guy and there's no one left, you know, for me. And he goes on a rampage and I feel like there's a lot of money you can make there. I don't think that's what they're going to do. <laughs> um, but I hear you on the heel turn. That'd be fine. Um, it would it would make things more interesting. Um, cheering crowds could vocalize about that as well, which I think would put it over a little bit better. And you're right. Then he becomes a big boss, and eventually someone will beat him. Right? right. Someone fresh, someone new, someone old. Could be anything, right? Yeah, and then that um, also creates another a faction shakeup. Because clearly he won't be leading, probably won't be leading chaos anymore. He probably he can create his own faction. Maybe he pulls in some of the Sugan guys, some of the some of the newer guys and forms a new version of whatever you want to call it. And if he's the big boss, anybody can challenge him on any level and it's going to, and it's going to do well. It doesn't matter if it's a Chris Jericho or a John Moxley or a Tanahashi or, you know, uh, Yuya Yuimura returning or who, you know, Gabe Kidd. It doesn't matter. Yeah. That'd be a lot of fun to see. Uh, some senior sombrero three K says, will the show end with the next tile challenger appearing a la Kenta, and if not, who will be the next contender after most likely? Hashtag Okada wins, question mark. I do think that this is a year where we see the next challenge because I think um, I think they're expecting a lot of eyes on the show, and I think that they want people to recognize what's next. It's been a while since we didn't have the next challenger make some sort of statement or appearance um, on the card. So Yes, I think we see it. I, I I don't have a good read on who it'll be, and I, I, I hope I'm surprised by it. Um, but yeah, I think I think I think we will see something develop in the post match, regardless of who wins. The cult of personality comes on over the <laughs> airways. <laughs> I want to throw. Um, oh, go ahead, Josh. I was gonna say I think that the fact that they have a New Year's dash that's completely mystery vortex style the next night is very interesting and very telling to what might potentially be on the horizon as far as all this is concerned, you know, um, because that's another reason why we haven't had, you know, uh, like for instance, Kenta did that big call out, but we didn't have the same kind of New Year's dash that we're we are used to getting, you know, over the past years where we established those types of um, feuds. So that's one thing. But if I had to guess some of the, the likely names I could see it being, I think Shota Umino is on the table. Um, I think Shingo Takagi is on the table. Um, I think, uh, I think the winner or loser hypothet I don't know, depending of Omega Oka or Osprey is also a possibility. And then, there's a few names from AEW, depending on what they're doing at the uh, Yokohama Arena show, that are also possibilities if you're trying to do something there. I don't know. There's uh, one name I want to throw out here. It's kind of a crazy, it might seem out of left field, it might not seem possible, but there's one guy who said that he was going to be at the Tokyo Dome, does not doesn't have an announced match, and that man is Katsuyori Shibata. Oh well, God! That oh. I, bro, right. my heart is beating. <laughs> it, it's very, it's probably very unlikely, but what if 
you know, this, this man Shibata, he wants to wrestle again. He had the match at Orange Cassidy. Maybe New Japan's like, you know what? All right, we'll let him do it. And he comes out at the end of the show and calls out Okada in your first big title match, new beginning, Okada against Shibata. I'll cry. <laughs> I, that would rule. I'll, I'll cry. Give me the happens. book. Give me the book. <laughs> we, I think we've all kind of speculated on that in the past, but like it now does seem like a more yeah. likely moment than any other time for them to actually pull the trigger on something like that. Huh. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yo, that'd be crazy. That'd be so crazy. I would yeah. love it. I mean, he's wrestling. Also, also I mean, Orange Suzuki, Cassidy. Suzuki's also a possibility, too. Yeah. 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 Which would be fun. It'd be more fun if he won, because I think that's interesting, too. I Whatever. Right. Give him a 30-day reign. You know? I mean, give him a transitional reign to get to your next baby phase, right? Like, I think that's... I don't think they'll do it, but it'd be cool. I, I'm very much pro give Ishii and give Suzuki a consolation title reign at some point before they retire. Both of those guys. That's just me. Yeah. That, so Ishii would be interesting if Okada goes full heel and Ishii defends the honor of chaos quietly with no with no promos, right? But like, <laughs> and, and no support from anyone else. Exactly. <laughs> that could be a banger, though. They'd have a, you know, they'd have a heck of a match. Yeah. Uh, and last question here from uh, Juice nineteen or uh, ninety one hundred. What direction do you guys see the IWGP Heavyweight Championship going in twenty twenty three? Personally, I would like to see Will Osprey get a proper run or Minoru Suzuki finally winning it. I, I'm not really sure where they're going, but I will say this: I think it's starting to get to the point where, for me, and this is why I'm proposing he goes heel a baby face prolonged run with uh okada just seems kind of monotonous and boring to me at this point um i do think it's time for them to shake things up a bit and maybe move the title in a different direction even if just for a bit you know oh another name we didn't throw out there and i mean it's highly unlikely but like you never know what if kota ibushi shows up that would be a surprise yeah that would be wild That'd be cool. I mean, that's Okada, you know, Okada for a long time said he wanted Ibushi. Um, he wanted Ibushi. He wanted to finish the match that they had started during the G1, really. Right. So, yeah, the story built in. Yeah. I mean, if Ibushi's somehow staying with New Japan and they've softened, you know, their hard feelings for each other, that would be the play, actually. That, I mean, that or Shibata would get me just amped up. Um, yeah, tough to say. Tough, I mean, there, there's no, but, but when Kenta, you know, ambushed Naito, no one saw that coming. Right. You know? Right. So I think we're more likely to be surprised than for it to be the person or someone that we've talked about. Right. I feel like, you know, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on this show. And so you, they definitely need to capitalize with a, a hot show closing angle, that's going to build up the next title match, regardless that somebody just, even if it's a call out or it's an angle where somebody's like jumping Okada or Jay, whoever it is. Um, but as far as, you know, what do I see direction? I don't know what their direction is, but for me, like I would like to see just some more heated main events. I feel like even this past year with Okada's championship run, the first half of the year, a lot of the main events, I don't feel like had a, a ton of heat behind them. I mean, there were a lot of great, 
rematches, like the Okada Zack match, the Okada Naito matches. Like those were matches kind of already built up on previously established, you know, feuds and matches that happened in the past. I like to see some kind of fresh matchups with some heat built up to them, uh, besides just kind of relying on, you know, the old stories t- to set up a title match. I want to see yeah. more defenses is what I want. I want there to be I want someone to win this title that's gonna say, like take on all challengers, right? And I know right. there, there's a certain cadence of how New Japan, you know, books the the title match, the 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 main event scene, but I think if you pepper in even throughout like the first half of the year pre G1 two or three more defenses than you kind of would naturally do with you know, New Japan Cup winner and and et cetera, et cetera, like the kind of classic defenses. If you can pepper in two, maybe three more in the in the beginning of the year, I think you get that belt in front of more eyes. And I think, there's, you know, they're going to deliver. There's opportunities. You think about it. There's the U.S. tours now right. with some of those pay-per-views. And, you know, we've had some really long uh, tours and long tournaments this year that weren't normally there that might not you know, could, if you shorten some of those up, it might uh, create an opportunity for more child defenses. Even a, a fantastic mania defense, you know, like, sure. just, yeah. like bring someone in that at, at that level that can, that can go. Bar- Barbaro Cavernario. <laughs> Actually, if you, re- if you want to do something cool, you probably have them defend against like uh Mystico. Right. Yeah. You know, right. th- that's probably the biggest name you could probably think of or, or um, either that or, you know, Ultimo Guerrero. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like you know the you know what's going to happen, but it, it's a defense, you know? Right. Like I I think that would be a cool way to like really not that I, the title's only gotten cold since Jay White's had it. I mean, I don't think it was necessarily cold. It was just in its I natural disagree. state. I think I it was in it was, its, I thought I thought it was pretty cold on Okada all year too. I, I feel the like Naito, all the Naito matches. Yeah, I think that this year the, t- the heavyweight tournament matches have really been at the forefront of the main event scene and the actual title and the title defenses and the champions have been pretty monotonous and cold. And the champions themselves have actually fared better from a performance standpoint in tournaments than they have in their actual defenses duties, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that that's going to change this year at whatever, uh, just my guess, like, I feel like we're kind of at a low point. They're, they'll, they'll, I don't see them going down. The only way is up. So I think that in 2023, we'll see a stronger title scene as the company, you know, repairs itself. Yeah. So uh, before we move on, final predictions, who you guys got for this matchup? I, you know, like I said, I think, you know, gun to my head, I have to make a decision. I'm going to pick Okada. I, I mean, yeah, I'm picking Okada. I just feel like it would be a mistake um, to go with Jay at this point. Unless they really give me something to believe otherwise. So, um, yeah, I'm picking Okada. Yeah, I'm also going with Kazuchika Okada. I think that makes the Aussie the, the most sense. And with the story they're telling of Jay having Okada's number, I think Okada, you know, getting another win on, on Jay in the main event makes a ton of sense. So now let's move on to double main event one for the IWGP United States title. The current champion, the leader of the United Empire, Will Ospreay, will defend against the best bout machine, Kenny Omega. 
And so obviously this match came from the, the post-match angle from Historic Crossover When we got the surprising uh, video package of Kenny Omega calling out Will Ospreay And you know, unlike Okada and Jay White I feel like there's been a ton of heat and interest uh, with this matchup you know, with the the that angle that happened with the the Omega video package, and then plus just all the interviews that Omega's been doing in the media, including the recent article that just came up on njpw1972.com, with just the way Kenny's been picturing himself and you know kind of blaming Will Osprey for the quote unquote you know downfall of New Japan over the last couple of years. Yeah, this is this match is hot, um, and. We haven't even like actually seen them physically interact, right? So like kind of proof positive that you can build a match without necessarily getting into the same place. Um, so I think that that's worth noting, right? Like so because they didn't do that with the main event with Jay White, right? So but Omega's been great in his promos and the interview that was posted at NJPW nineteen seventy two. Like he's clearly invested in building this, building this match with Osprey and making sure that it's um, seen as a worldwide event, which I think it, I think it is. I think it's being seen that way. I think we're going to see New Japan World subs go up. Um, maybe not. I definitely not to the level of Jericho, um, no. because the you know the Jericho Jer- what Jericho did was leverage Kenny Omega's rise. And just like really kind of blew that out of the water. Whereas these are two guys that are still at their their peak. And I don't think Osprey is at the level that Omega was in the sense of like his reputation growing. He's had his reputation as an, a fantastic wrestler for, for a long time right now. So it wasn't people kind of checking it out to see what this guy can do like people know what will osprey can do and they know he's fantastic now that doesn't make it any less exciting that he's finally going to mix it up with kenny omega because i mean for this generation of pro wrestling fans in the space of say new japan and aew like that's the match that people have pointed to for a very long time as the one that they want to see so um i'm excited to see it i love that it's the u.s title i know a lot of people said that this match didn't need a title and you could have done it just as a special singles match but i think for the parallels of the Jericho situation five years ago, I think it's important that the belt is is involved because it's the same belt and it's the belt that Kenny built up in New Japan. And, you know, it's it's the belt that, you know, Will Ospreay's wrapped up in right now. So I think, you know, the U.S. title as the semi-main in a, or, you know, double main in a big spot here is a, is a move, right? And I think what we're, what I'm seeing and, kind of me reading between the lines is that the Western audience and the United States is a really big priority for new Japan right now. And with that, I think comes the U S title, right? So if Kenny wins the U S title, he can just defend it on dynamite occasionally and, and, or he can come back and defend it in, in Japan too. So 
And I think if it's still on Will, then maybe there's a program to be had where you then have Kenny versus Will later on down the line on an AEW show, right? So I do think we're going to see this match more than once, probably more than once this year, because I don't know that AEW can wait to put a big card on either. So, um, so yeah, I'm I'm stoked for this match, and I think both guys have done fantastic character work to build it. There's there's so much to unpack here. Uh, it's kind of the antithesis. Anticip- how do you say that word? Antithesis. 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 Yeah. It's the antithesis of the main event in that um, there's loads and loads of layers and discussion points and analysis to be had when it comes to this particular matchup. I mean. The fact that these guys have only matched up one time in a one-on-one match, and it happened in Reseda years and years ago when, you know, uh, Osprey wasn't even with New Japan at the time. So, just, oh, I watched like, that the other day. Oh, it's great. It's but this good. Is a, I mean, it's not. It will not be the same this year. But. No, it's not. It's not going to be great like this. It's great for like you know a PWG like showcase match from yeah. 2015 or whatever. But um, to see these two guys where they've gotten to, where they've traversed, how they've built their, you know, reputations and their, um, you know, just repertoire of matches and accolades and championship wins and uh, everything that, that kind of goes with that. And this is sort of like that historical fantasy style matchup. I mean, you've pretty much got what many people consider the very best Western wrestler in Will Ospreay, or I'm sorry, in Kenny Omega, and who made his name in Japan. And then you've got Will Ospreay, who's, you know, for a lot of people seen as the greatest talent in the world today, who's applying his trade in Japan. And, you know, the idea, a lot of people kind of felt like once Kenny left with AEW, that this was something that just couldn't happen and never would happen. And it, now it is. And it's happening at the peak point for both guys. Um, and the fact that, you know, say what you will about the AEW New Japan relationship. I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, diehard Puro fans that don't like it and they're not fans of Tony Khan and AEW. But the, the mere fact that New Japan is getting this match first and they're getting it in the Tokyo Dome kind of is a testament to some of the goodwill that's at play between these two companies because they could have very easily said, no, we're going to do it first, and then you guys get the scraps, and it's not happening in that order, which is pretty important. And I do think, like Chris said, it's going to make a huge difference in you know in subscriptions and fan interest. I mean, you you know, say what you will. There's a lot of people that were talk. You know, the 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 talking point and the rhetoric was New Japan is back. You know, and. For a lot of diehards, they got all up in arms about that statement. Like, oh, New Japan never did leave. It's always been here. You just weren't watching. Well, it's like, well, you should be glad that there are people who weren't tuning in that are now being inclined to tune in to the promotion that you are a supporter of and that you're a fan of. Because that's what happened in 2017. And it it was a really – or 2018 or whatever. And it was a really great thing for a a spike in business and a boom period for these guys. And – I think one of the biggest, I mean, uh, as far as match quality goes, considering the reputation of these guys, the athleticism of these guys, the the psychology, the mindset, and the attitude they both have as far as like their craft, I think this is the first time that I can confidently say we're we're going to see two guys that are capable 
and willing to go to the same levels that, say, Omega and Osprey did at Wrestle Kingdom 11. Not saying that it's going to be on that level. I'm not saying it's going to surpass that level. But if there ever were two guys to match it or surpass it, these are the two guys. And now is the time for that to happen. And I think that's very possible and it's not unlikely whatsoever. So I think the hype and anticipation is very real and very grounded in, in you know, an awesome thing. And then plus, I do love the build that these guys have have made, even though it's been a little understated. Uh, but they've kind of taken it upon themselves to make this really feel like something that is real and the hatred is very, you know, palpable. Like these guys really fucking hate each other, which I think couldn't be further from the truth, but that's awesome that they've kind of injected this program with that kind of uh, volatility. And then the last thing I'll say about it is I know there are new Japan fans and pro, you know, like elitists who are very concerned about, New Japan as a brand, they're concerned about Will Ospreay and they're concerned about the title as it pertains to what if Kenny Omega wins. They're concerned that the company or the champion or the title are going to be made to be diminished in the light of a former returning star who's going to you know, use this to basically make himself more famous and kind of shit on the company and, and potentially damage the brand. And I, I really think that that is a misguided fear and not reality-based whatsoever. I think that if you take a step back and you look at what Kenny's doing, he's doing a lot here to try and establish Will Ospreay and establish him as like a, a, the next step main event player the same way Chris Jericho did for him when he came over and I'm not saying Will Ospreay is going to win. I, 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 in fact, I don't think he's going to win. And I think that this is going to be the first of several matches in a prolonged series of, uh, in a feud, because like you mentioned, Chris, I don't think that will is where Kenny was when Kenny wrestled Chris Jericho. I think that he's as talented or maybe even more talented than he was at that point, but he doesn't have the same groundswell of support and, and, um, you know, reputation that Kenny had built to that point. But I think Kenny is doing as much as he can in this situation to try and give him the right dance partner and the right uh, platform to showcase who he is and what he can do. And long-term, I think that this is going to be a business positive for the title, for the company, and for Will Ospreay. And I think that this story is about the ascension of Will Ospreay. Not like an ascension, like he was the champion at one point, like he was a year or two ago. I'm talking about like he's the one A, not one A, like the number one gaijin in the country, the number one respected like foreigner, and there is no one B. It's not like a situation where it's like him and Jay or him and Zach. Like I think that this is the program that catapults into being seen as like a main main event top four player in New Japan, uh, someone that they can really count on for business moving forward in the same way that they did with Tanahashi, Naito, and Okada, you know, for the past five or six, seven, you know, past decade. That's what the story is about. And I do think it's going to start with a loss for Will Ospreay. But regardless of what decision they decide to make, I am so excited to see this match, see it play out, see what the story is. And for me, this is probably my most anticipated match in many, many, many years, like in just wrestling and 
my fandom in general. And um, it's going to be very special. I, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm very excited for this matchup. Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay are two of my favorite active wrestlers going today. So, yeah, this is definitely a big, you know, dream matchup. I think it's going to be, also, it's going to be awesome. And I think this is exactly what the United States title needed, especially after the year the title had this year with the, the constant, you know, vacating the title due to injuries and sicknesses and COVID and all that stuff. Like, the title just had not had a great year overall. Um, also, towards the end of the year, Will Ospreay has been doing a great job with the title and his defenses and kind of raising the stock of the title. But I think this big, huge, monumental feud over the U.S. title elevates it really high, you know, up to that kind of IC title status, which, you know, this title is kind of supposed to be at right now. And just the stuff that Kenny has been saying in the build in these interviews, like mentioning, like, yeah, New Japan created this title for me in 2017. I was supposed to be, you know, the face of the Western expansion. I was the one that was having all these great defenses. I faced Chris Jericho. Like I had all these great things. I was the one that was, you know, bringing Western eyes on New Japan from 2017 to 2019. Like it was it's all Kenny and just the way he had the way he's been speaking about the title truly elevates it. I mean, in the kayfabe kind of world, he could have came back and potentially challenged for the world heavyweight title. But the fact that he's coming back to challenge for this U.S. title and there's such a personal connection there, I think really elevates the stock and makes it a prize for people to want to go out. Like if Kenny Omega, one of the best wrestlers in the world, an EVP of AEW is going after this U.S. title, like why shouldn't everybody else be going after the U.S. title? To me, it just makes it a, a more, you know, a prize that you really want to go after in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I think it's, it's going to be an epic matchup. Uh, as far as, you know, Will's chances of winning, I think the one thing that they can lean into for, for Will to win is Kenny is going to be coming in off of six trios matches, um, especially with last week's trios match was a no DQ. This week is going to be false count anywhere. Um, so Kenny is going to be coming in not kayfabe wise, not at a hundred percent. So you you could play off of that, and if Will wins, Kenny could be like, hey, you know, you beat me when I wasn't a hundred percent. I had all these crazy matches with of Pack and Lucha Bros. Like, wait till let's do a rematch when I'm a hundred percent and not going through this crazy best seven to see who truly is the best. And so you can kind of extend it that way if they wanted uh, Osprey to win. Uh, for me, I don't think there is any wrong winner here. I think there, there are different story directions you can go with either guy winning this match that could lead to rematches. But I, I think that Kenny winning would probably be more intriguing, just kind of what you were saying, Chris. Like, he can do the, the dynamite fences. I mean, heck, he could show up on New Japan strong. I mean, Moxley did um, an empty arena. So why can't you have Kenny show up in, in a crowd or a U.S. pay-per-view? There's so much like things you could do with Kenny as the U.S. champion and then with Osprey chasing him. Here, here's my thing with it. Um, Kenny is clearly playing the heel, although obviously the United Empire is like a heel, you know, leaning faction. And, you know, so is uh, Will Osprey. In this particular program, the overwhelming heel personality in New Japan is Kenny Omega, even though he's playing a babyface in AEW, like he's a heel here. And if the heel 
loses, then he's been vanquished. And sure, there is an out there, Jeremy. And who wouldn't want to see a rematch, of course, especially if the match really does perform well. But at that point, Will kind of has bested him, which I'm sure a lot of the fans listening, they they do want that. And that's great. But the juice is kind of out of the squeeze at that point. You know what I mean? Like, there's not much more story to tell if he just beats him. The same way, there was very little follow-up when Kenny beat Chris Jericho, who was the heel. But if the heel wins, then you have something for the babyface to chase after. The only drawback with that situation is the the feud continues to revolve around the U.S. title, whereas many people are wanting Will Ospreay to ascend to like the heavyweight belt, and they want him to challenge Okada, and they want that to happen in short fashion. That's kind of off the table if you do decide to do a prolonged Kenny and Will feud. But I think that there's more money to be made across the board between these two guys in, in a, probably a trilogy of matches with, or even if it's not a trilogy, even if it's just tat for tat, you know, Kenny wins here and then Will goes to America and beats him at Forbidden Door in June. To me, I feel like that's a great story. And that like can really, here's the other thing too, is like, New Japan does not have anybody that is really truly established as a major force in the West. And I feel like one of the keys to getting there is having someone on a major profile face a a, a major star like Kenny Omega and beat him in the States and get that recognition. And right now, like, sure, there are wrestling fans that know Will Ospreay, but not really. And they're not clamoring for him the way that like people were for, for Kenny in 2017, 2018. And you can change that by running a series of matches between these guys that like revolutionizes the wrestling industry and has Will Ospreay coming out on top at the end of it. And I mean, at the end of the day, we all know like if Kenny does win the belt, he's not taking it away forever. He's not going to not come back and drop it. So what's the harm in giving him the belt, having it show up on Dynamite, have him work some US pay-per-views, have him show up on some big shows and then build up to the grudge match the return match between him and Will, either here or in Japan, whatever. And that's what I think is going to happen. I, I think that the writing's on the wall, and it's pretty clear that that's the direction they're going. I think, and I think it's going to be a bigger deal that Kenny beats him. Like, people won't be talking about it as much if Kenny loses the first match. But if Kenny goes over and wins the title, they're like, holy fuck. <laughs> they, they like put the title on the AEW guy, and it's Kenny Omega, and like, blah, blah, blah. And, then everyone, then when they do the return match in June, like let's say they do it at a, at a Madison Square Garden, how many tickets do you think that's going to sell? Everybody's going to want to fucking be at that show to see Will Ospreay beat Kenny Omega to win the belt back. I know I'm going to be there. We would, every single one of us listening would want to be at that show. That's the business decision you make. And I, I'm sorry. I know there's a lot of people that don't want to hear that, but like, that's what you do. There's less money if Will Ospreay wins. I personally think the United Center is a great venue for big wrestling matches. I agree. Just my saying. Only, my, my, my <laughs> only, well, it, it serves you because you live there. But like my, <laughs> yeah. only, my only objection to that is they're going to run another pay-per-view a month later at that same venue, most likely. Well, yeah, I don't know how Chicago is going to treat AEW for a little while here because that that trios match when they were in oh, chicago yeah. the night before thanksgiving was 
wild. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but if you really want Will to be the baby face, yeah, that's Chicago's probably a city that Kenny's going to be a heel for a little bit. If if you but, want him to be so, but if you do, my point it's not that it has no, to be I know, hard. I my know. point is you could do Kenny and Will return match here in the states, and everyone thinks Kenny's going to lose the title. Doesn't matter where it is, everyone they'll sell out anywhere in the country. Period. Yeah, it, it's it. Arguably, it's a bigger draw in the U.S. than it is in in Japan, um, which I. I mean, we're, there's a lot happening that's going to try to draw Western and U.S. eyes to the to the product. So, yeah, um, especially you know. with rumors of like a potential stronger working relationship after January 4th between AEW and New Japan. We don't know what's going to happen with that Honor Club announcement that they're talking about. That's on the table. My point is this. If Kenny loses... There's less money to be made in Japan and America in a, in any return match between these guys. And but honestly, it kind of just kills the feud, doesn't it? And it kills yeah. the, it kills the feud. But yeah. if Kenny wins, there's more money to be made in both countries regardless. That's well, what you do. Going back to it though, the like the clear parallel that everyone's starting to make is the is the Jericho feud, right? Or the Jericho Kenny stuff. I, and I, I think this is different because Kenny's a, a much more known entity in New Japan, too. Right, so he's yeah. A, he's a huge draw from New Japan, also. Whereas, yeah. so, so is Jericho, but more as an attraction, whereas Kenny is a draw just in the sense that he got over. So you can, I, I you know, I think you... Plus, we know that Kenny doesn't mind going to Japan, right? Right. So I don't think it would be... but. You gotta, you gotta figure you're working through Tony Khan, and gotta be on Dynamite every Wednesday, you know. So, especially if they're gonna win those trios titles. So, it, it, there's a lot of interesting things at play here. But I, I do agree with you that I think the business move is for Osprey to lose and chase, even if he doesn't chase immediately. He just chases when you gotta build up something in the U.S. Probably because you gotta figure this is a trade. Yeah. Um. Right. So. I- I do yeah. think that hypothetically, if Kenny loses now and this feud ends, then AEW is getting something even bigger in return from New Japan than what those same fans that don't want this, you know, they want Kenny to lose. They're not, whatever that trade is, and I don't know what it would be, it's going to be a lot bigger than just a win back from, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, it's not just going to be Kenny beating Will in return. It's going to be much bigger than that. It's going to be like someone beating fucking Okada for the title. MJF. (laughs) You know, it's going to be something fucking huge. And that I don't think that those that same sect of fans could maybe even really necessarily stomach. If you get what I'm saying. What's the other match? What's the other Kenny Omega match that people want to see in America? Yeah, it's it's Okada. Okada. Yeah. Right. So if Kenny loses, I mean, that seems like that's the play. And I don't know how you get there, but. But Shoot, it could even, be if, any, even if he wins, maybe it could that's be, the play. It could be anything. You know what I mean? Like right. it could be bigger than that. We don't really know. I think a one for one, you know, Kenny wins here and then Omega wins there is the fairest and most equitable outcome and the most the thing that makes most business sense. But if Kenny loses here, Tony Khan and then let's keep it a buck, they're the A side of this relationship from a business standpoint. They're going to get something bigger in return 
from New Japan, and I don't think people want to pay that piper. <laughs> they're not willing to like really realize like oh shit like they're gonna have to give something really big to Tony Khan to let their one of their top three biggest stars in the world take a clean job to Will Ospreay in the Dome. Yeah. Uh, so we have some questions here. Uh, Red user Ghost of Doc Gonzo says, "If Omega wins the U.S. title, do you think he'll be doing more New Japan shows going forward, or will the U.S. title be taking an excursion to the states like the IWGP Tag Team titles did this year?" I mean, we've seen think, Kenny with both. outside. I, we've seen Kenny with outside titles on AEW, and he he seems to. I mean, even the Impact Belt, right? He seemed to give that uh, just as much attention as. Um, as he did the AEW belt. So, and, and he was on impact TV and that's a little easier, I guess, because a it's in America and B it's tapings. But, um, like I said, like, I, I don't think Kenny's averse to getting over to Japan, even just for a quick hit. Right. So I was a little, you know, I was a little surprised that Osprey wasn't booked on the road to shows to at least tease that Kenny was going to show up. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of creative things you could do. I mean, uh, from him defending the title stateside, whether it's in AEW or New Japan on pay-per-views and stuff like that. There's also video segments and social media things that they can be doing to build a program between them. And, you know, he could make pit stops in Japan periodically, especially if it's on the big shows. I wouldn't be surprised if he shows up at a New Japan Cup final or a, or a Sakura Genesis or whatever you want to call it. So, um I'm not too worried about that aspect of it, especially since we've seen other titles held up in other situations like the Moxley and the Jericho situation that, in my opinion, will probably be be worse than what we'd get from Kenny Omega. Just considering his track record with outside titles in the recent past. Like this man showed up on impact. (laughs) Like if he's going to show up on impact uh, as, as a weekly, you know, feature there, like, he can show up on New Japan Strong. He can show up on a U.S.-based pay-per-view. And I think that helps. You know, that helps. Uh, I think that will help with strong tickets. Like, you might have the chance of seeing Kenny Omega live, even if it's just, like, a, a promo that he does to set up the pay-per-view. Like, you're, you're going to build that interest of potentially seeing Kenny at a U.S. New Japan show. Who knows? What if they do, like, a super card of honor title defense, him versus, say, Jeff Cobb? You know, something like that. That's also on the, you know, the Ring of Honor opportunities there, too. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Omega buzzing through the United Empire members. That could be a fun program. And then, I didn't even think of it like that. I just thought Yeah, well, like, no, but as, as soon as you said Jeff Cobb, I was like, wait, like, that could actually be a fun U.S. program because they're all, in, everyone but Ocon, right? They're all English speaking, so it's easy to build. Um, that oh, that'd be neat, and then eventually you get back to Osprey. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, UD Dojo says, are the odds pretty high that Kenny wins his match and challenges Okada, who also wins his match? I don't think that the odds are high for that, just because the situation with the title being entwined makes it difficult for that to be feasible. Personally, although you know. I said the same thing when Cody and, and, and Okada happened and they were both champions and they did that. So who knows? I don't think that's the lane for Okada Omega, though. I, do, I, I agree. I think we'd be we'd be more likely to see that with the AEW title, like the AEW title and the IWGP world title, because then that puts them both on the same level. And I think that that would right. be the that would be the optics 
uh, that you'd want on both sides of that if you want them to both be holding titles. Yeah, if this was a non-title match, then I could potentially see if Kenny wins coming out and challenging Okada. But yeah, I don't think you want to... We don't need another double gold dash situation. We don't need to unify any more titles, even though they do have too many belts. We got a lot of titles but now. We, so. we, we need a strong number two, though. And the U.S. title. I was told we, was told we needed to get rid of the, the IC title because we had too many titles. And here we are <laughs> a couple years later. We've got even more titles. <laughs> we do, but I think we need to keep the U.S. title, though. Uh, I agree. So I don't think that there needs to be any merger there. So I think, yeah, Omega wins. I don't think we'll see that challenge yet. I think the, the play there is either a straight-up you know, non-title singles match, Omega Okada, or you have um, Omega challenging eventually Okada, who's the champion, IWGB World Heavyweight Champion. Then a question here from Wrestling Data 101. Who wins between Omega and Osprey, and what direction does the winner go? Are we seeing a new trilogy of singles matches in the making? I mean, I've said it several times, and I'll say it again. I'm, I feel very confident that Kenny Omega is winning this belt here. I think that's the bigger story. It's going to get more play. It's going to get more attention. It's going to do bigger business. Not because it's him, but just because of the storytelling opportunities that exist if you go that way. And I think that's going to be better for Will Ospreay to give him something to chase after that's not just a mythical Okada win that may or may not ever come. I feel like if that is ever going to come, this is the stepping stone to get to getting to that place to where that really happens and that matters. So, yeah, I think uh, I think Kenny Omega is winning here, and I think that uh, he'll probably. My, my guess, I would have him hold the title until either Jan- if if they're going to do a return match on January twenty third at Yokohama, then fine, they can do it there. But I'm going to guess till Forbidden Door two in June. That's where you do the return. Yeah, I mean, I think you do the return somewhere in the U.S. I don't know that, you know, I I think the Forbidden Door show last year came together really quickly, both in booking the show, like the, the booking of the show and just scheduling the show. So I think maybe if that's placed a little bit differently, I think then you can have a bigger program too. So maybe it's not necessarily June, but I think, yeah, I think we see them run a big, co-branded show or just one of the big AEW shows if Kenny doesn't have something to do why not run it back there and sell some tickets yeah I think I'm also going with uh, Kenny Omega getting the win there's just so much like I said, it's just very intriguing there's so much opportunities you can do and that truly elevates that US title to the, uh, almost a, a 1B situation with, with Kenny holding it and I think it took the title up for having a, a good year so, all right, let's uh, move on to the next matchup here uh, for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. The Bone Soldier, Taiji Ishimori, will be defending the title in a four-way match against the Ticking Time Bomb, Hiromu Takahashi, El Desperato, and Master Wato. So we know Ishimori won the title back in May from Desperado, kind of an upset win there. Hasn't had a uh, ton of defenses. He defended against Hiromu on New Japan Road, uh, but now he's here in a four-way situation. All four, all three of these guys kind of gunning towards Ishimori. You have Hiromu and Despi, two of the top juniors. Wato kind of sliding in here due to uh, Kushida's um, his illness with the hand, foot, and mouth disease. 
Uh, so what do you guys have been thinking about the, the build this? You know, we had this special tag match where these guys teamed up. We had the four-way match on the New Japan Road. What have you guys been thinking about this build? I actually think they've done a pretty nice job with building this match. Agreed. Um, they've been building it forever, but I think the the yeah, the special tag match where they, they tagged with each other, that was great. The tag match on the road too was great. Like they've they've done a good job of setting these guys up with a lot of time to interact with each other and to really kind of show that this they this is a classic New Japan build where and and even more so they did some creative stuff with it. So but it's really just about getting them the opportunity to interact and maybe try some stuff out before they go in and have a you know a four-way on on in the dome. So I'm I'm stoked on this match, even though I don't think Ishimori's a hot champion by any means. No. And that seems to no. kind of be a trend. Um oh, with bullet club champions. With sure, yeah. yeah. I mean with <laughs> Bullet Club or just heel leaning champions. So um Ishimori is one of my favorite wrestlers to 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 watch when he's on. So, you know, right. and I, I think this four way is a good group i think wato's interesting right if is this an elevation or is this just a moment for him um so yeah i'm i you know i'm pumped on this match i think they're gonna go out and have a what 16 to 20 minute four-way banger because honestly the multi-man matches that new japan ends up running and they don't do them that frequently the more than more than one-on-one they're usually pretty good because it's not your standard tropey WWE guy sits outside the ring thing. Like everyone's kind of still involved. They don't do the like uh, the thing where somebody kind of checks out for a little while and then comes back in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah the, the last time they had a four way at Wrestle Kingdom for the junior title, it was Marty Skrull, Zach Sab- or I'm sorry, Will Ospreay. Romu Takahashi and who was the fourth guy? Was it Kushida? Uh, I think I think it was Kushida. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that match, you know, even though I didn't love it as much as many other people did, it was really highly praised and really well received. And it's been a while since we've had a multi-man match for the title at the Tokyo Dome, and here we are, and we're in that situation again. Uh, one thing I'd like to point out, you know, Desperado, when he got his initial junior title run, it was when um, Hiromu had to vacate the belt. He won it in a triple threat match. So he has some experience winning the title in a multi-man um, situation in a big stakes match like this. Um, the only person going into the match that has never been champion of any sort is obviously Master Wato. So I'm sure there's a lot of people kind of rooting for him to maybe, you know, have that crowning achievement, sort of the underdog factor. And then you got, you know, obviously Hiromu and Desperado are sort of like the 1A, 1B of, uh, you know, the junior divisions um, ace type figure. And so either one of them winning the title here would probably go a long way with them sort of establishing themselves as the top dog. And then, you know, Ishimori, he hasn't been a hot champion, but like Chris said, he's so talented. So, you know, could he retain? Sure. I do think that the odds obviously aren't very good for him. You do some Steiner math, <laughs> even just basic Steiner math. He's only got a 25% chance of winning. Um, I'm going to, I feel like, though, and again, the, the build's been very good. 
they might want to go back to Hiromu potentially just because he's been he's won um you know uh several of those super junior tournaments but he hasn't held the title in quite a long time and they might want to go that way but i don't know this is a tough one to call like i I feel like they might belt up Watto for the feel-good moment uh, I don't know about that. I'm leaning more towards Desperado. Um, again, with Chris the whole, rolled his eyes. <laughs> with the whole <laughs> Suguna breakup, like there's a ton of opportunity to kind of, you know, refresh, revamp Desperado's character. You give him this kind of big Tokyo Dome moment. He did win the title of the Dome last year. And, you know, Gato loves mm-hmm. back-to-back moment, so he can win the title again this year in the Dome. Uh, and I think, you know, he might have a new new gear, new kind of a new outlook, new kind of character leaving. Suzuki Goons, I think, is a chance to really elevate him and kind of kick him off fresh for the new year with a new kind of fresh coat of paint and then being the champion. And because his title run last year did get cut short. I mean, he had that. He lost to Ishimori kind of surprisingly in May. So I think there's definitely more to do with Desperado as the champion. I'd agree. I don't think they've ever, uh, even though he's been clearly the ace of the division last two years, that he's never really had that prolonged, super successful title reign. Um, you got to figure I, they've they've got cheering crowds back, yeah, really on pretty on pretty much all the shows, right? So like maybe this is the time that he finally gets a run that he can, and he's he's unitless, right? right. So. Not that that came into play very frequently, but he may be a guy that is uh, desirable to other units, or maybe he's a guy that could have his own situation somehow, right? So that could build that up a little bit if he's champion, or it just gives him something to do while he doesn't have a unit to like pair up with. Yeah, there, There's the opposite way of looking at it where putting the title on him while he's rudderless might make him less desirable as a champion right now. You know what I mean? Like he, because there's that whole aspect where he needs to find his place and find where he lands. And maybe, maybe they're not concerned with that, but that is an aspect also taken into consideration where it's like, he takes the loss here. Now, where's he at? Where does he go from here? You know what I mean? Plus let's also keep in mind, I think, Kushida is probably waiting in the wings for whoever wins this match just in general. And with him being the natural baby face, that would maybe lend itself to the idea that Ishimori needs to retain. I don't know. Yeah, if they want to finish off that program that they were trying to do with Kushida, yeah, if they want to stick with that plan, yeah, you could do that. I mean, at this point, I think you should I don't know. Maybe just kind of abandon that and, and go with something different. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I like Ishimori, but if it's going to be the same thing with him going into next year as a champ, I don't. I don't want that. I mean, this this guy has the, barely defended the title. It's been one of the longest streaks of no defenses uh, with a title with a junior title in, in quite some time. Yeah, I was uh, just going to bring that up. It's actually the technically the second longest ever, but the first longest was COVID. Right, it was oh, like God. the beginning of COVID. So the first longest was also. Ishimori involved in it um, <laughs> when he finally defended at, at Summer Struggle in Jingu. Um, and that was 202 days between defenses. This will be 197 days between defenses. So, and this obviously the company has been active during. So we kind of throw out 
you know, when there's space between the defenses or, or anything at the beginning of 2020, we kind of toss that to the side as a, as an anomaly. And now as this is, I mean, 197 days is a long time to not defend a title in new Japan. Yeah. Did you guys see during one of the, during the preview four way tag match where, uh, um, Ishimori tried to do like the whisper in the wind off someone's back and he slipped. I <laughs> mean the uh, the poetry emotion. Yeah, the poetry emotion. Yeah. He went to jump off <laughs> someone's back. I don't remember. Oh, I think it was Taguchi. He like hit Taguchi's back and it was slick. And he fell. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I think the match is gonna be really good though. Um, it's just really difficult. I feel like to predict the winner here. I don't feel as strong on it as the the two main events. Um, I don't know. What are your guys' final final picks here? Uh, Desperado for me. Either Desperado or Hiromu, because I think then either of them kind of gets a little bit shine um, with a cheering crowd or with cheering crowds. Um, and you're right. It it feels like Hiromu is perpetually the champion of the, the junior division, but he hasn't been the champ since February of 2021. It's been a so while. It's yeah. been a while. Um, so it, it wouldn't be that outrageous for him to win. Um, not that that's necessarily the most exciting thing, but, um, it's, it's, it's not out of the question. Yeah. I mean, there's a part of me that wants to be like Watto because he's going to, you know, the, the underdog factor and he gets his first title run. But I said that so many times in the past when he was challenging for the tag titles and I was always wrong. And then the one time I said he wasn't going to win, they did win the titles. So he just burned me too many times. So yeah, I'm going to probably go with Hiromu on this one. Just He hasn't held the title in a long time, so just go back to Old Faithful, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, next match we'll look at is uh, Keiji Muto's quote-unquote last New Japan pro wrestling matchup. So Keiji Muto will team with Hiroshi Tanahashi and the roughneck Shota Umino to take on the LIJ team of Tetsuya Naito, Sonata, and Bushi, kind of interesting dynamics here on the, the Muto side. You I mean you kind of have three generations of aces, kind of, you know, you have Kijimuto and then Tanahashi, and then Umino is kind of the, the guy that they want to be, that that future ace, and kind of step into uh, Tanahashi's shoes. Um, and then across, you know, the LIJ team, you have Sonata, who's been, you know, a, a Muto student. He always does the, the Muto moonsault in his matches. You have a Naito who's, you know, was a stardust genius and kind of wanting to be that, that ace role, wanting to be that, that that next Muto, but never really got there in that iteration. Um, and then, you know, Bushi. Bushi's there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is um, probably the best case scenario because I had a, a darkest timeline hypothesis where which would have seen, like, Muto challenging for the IWGP title in Yokohama and winning it and then having to defend it on his retirement show against uh, Okada. And um, I'm glad that nothing like that is happening. (laughs) But um, it does make a lot of sense what we're seeing here. You know, um, there was a lot of talk leading into uh, the press conference for Wrestle Kingdom about like, Where's Naito going to land? Where's Tanahashi going to land? And I think on this show, we said many times, like, be on the lookout for them to do something with uh, Muto because it just makes a lot of sense considering all their connections to him and their history and everything like that. And so this is a pretty good platform for them, regardless of what, what where they end up going into 2023. 
Um, and I, I like the idea that you got the sort of Muto, Tanahashi, Shota Umino, you know, generational sort of look. That's cool. And then, you know, the LIJ guys are on the other side and Naito and Sonata both have connection to Muto. Sonata more so, but, you know, Naito's probably looking for revenge. So the only singles match these guys ever had against one another, I think it was Wrestle Kingdom 4 or 5, something like that. I can't recall. And it was genius versus genius, and Naito took the loss to Muto, which, you know, I'm sure he wants to get some revenge for that. Um, as far as predicting what the match, I, I mean, it, it's a it's a Kiji Muto retirement match. I mean, it's going to be what it is. It'll, I'm sure it'll be fine and kind of nostalgic. This is the, the perfect platform and place for them to do something like this. Wrestle Kingdom is a spectacle after all, and you know, it's been a few years since we've seen anything like this. So I think it'll be fun and good. Uh, I think the thing that I'm most keeping my eye out on is Shota Umino and what the few, how, how they try to launch him coming out of this match. You know, um, is he going to pick up a win? Is he going to pick up a loss? What will his interactions with Sonata and Naito look like and, and his teammates for that matter? So. If the KG Muto team wins this match, he will tie uh, Yuji Nagata for the third most Tokyo Dome victories um, overall. So with 22, that would be his 22nd overall Tokyo Dome victory. He'll still be behind Liger at 28 and Tenzan at 23. Um, but that's, you know, that's something notable there. So fun, fun stat for you. I finally got to run some Muto stats. So. <laughs> They're good. I mean, like he's he's obviously spent some time in the ring in the Tokyo Dome. So, someone uh, tell uh, Chris Charlton to update eggshells. Um, I think a second pressing would be necessary for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as for the match, yeah, I mean, everything you guys said. I think there may be a surprising finish here. I think obviously Bushi's in the match, right? And everyone's going to point to him as the guy who's going to eat the pin. But I think they might do something a little more meaningful somehow. I don't. I don't think Muto's putting his shoulders on the mat by any means. But um, Sonata's in there. Naito's not all that protected, right? So I think if we're assuming that the the Muto Tanahashi uh, Umino side's gonna win, then I think I think they could do something more interesting than just Bushi eating a, eating a pin. So that's that's what I'm keeping an eye out for is more the detail of the of the finish than um than the match because I like I said I don't think Muto's doing a job on the way out, but I think I think they could do something more with it, and I think a guy like Sonata or or Naito wouldn't be all that opposed to taking the loss here if it meant advancing something else which who knows where they're headed yeah i think on the, the surface this is about muto's retirement his last match but i think on the on the new japan side i think it's really about shota umino i think this match is going to really be about him and what's next for him and like we mentioned earlier we saw the interactions of him and naito on the road tokyo dome shows so like you're saying chris i mean why not be ballsy and have umino pin naito and get that big win in the Tokyo Dome over Naito, and then that kind of kicks off, you know, a Naito Umino uh, feud for for new beginning, or have Umino pin Sonata, which then builds to him wanting to face Naito next. Um, so I think there's a lot of intriguing things you could do 
if you don't do the traditional, you know, Junior Bushi gets pinned and you have Ubino pin Naito or Sonata. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that that stuff would be interesting. I think the most likely scenario, we're probably still going to be looking at Muto pinning Bushi. <laughs> uh, or I'm sorry, yeah, Muto pinning Bushi. But, um, you know, the other talking point here, and I think it's worth taking note, and I'm not trying to imply that Naito is being downcycled, although I don't know if that's necessarily that far off in the future. But for Tanahashi, I think this is a clear indication that um, going forward, I don't expect him to be doing too many more high-profile things on these Tokyo Dome shows. Um, it's something I've sort of been talking about and uh, oftentimes kind of, uh, I, I guess, had people disagree with me, maybe those who aren't watching the product as regularly because Tanahashi is able to show up you know, at a forbidden door and have a great match with a Moxley when called upon or you know, have a great match in the G1, but for some time now, he's just been looking more and more and more broke down. And since the G1, he has been looking really rough and normally leading up into Wrestle Kingdom. We see him sort of rebound and get into really fantastic shape. And it's just not happening this year. Like it, it has in the past. And last year he had struggled with that too. And I think that we are seeing him get down cycled. Um, you know, I'm not, he's not dad status yet, but like, I think the days of him being in prominent positions, uh, on Tokyo Dome shows are pretty much gone. And I, I think we're a couple years off from seeing him in a similar position to like Yuji Nagata, um, where he was a few years ago in the company. And I think that this is sort of a, a key point to that, you know, um, period of his career i think that this is a, a turning point because when was the last time hiroshi tanahashi wasn't in a singles match at the tokyo dome i mean it's been a long time you know yeah so also we're all going with the the muto team uh getting the win here uh next matchup for the never open weight title machine gun carl anderson will be defending against tama tonga and so we know all this kind of started back when uh, Carl Anderson uh, attacked uh, Tam Tonga after he won the title from Evil. And that set up the Dominion match where Carl defeated Tam Tonga and he's kind of held the, the title capture, captive over these uh, last several months here. And finally making a defense against Hikaleo at the, the Tag League Finals and they did the whole angle there to set up the, the match with uh, Tam Tonga. Bright lights. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot more enthusiasm for this than I've got. <laughs> Let's go. I hope they turn the house lights on so we can watch Carl Anderson work in the brightest of lights. I want to see that bald head fucking sweat. <laughs> um, <laughs> give me some reflection. I, um, I, I don't have very much energy or analysis to, to <laughs> add to this. We've talked ad nauseum for months about fucking Carl Anderson. He's going to lose. The match is not, probably not going to be very good. And then we won't have to talk about him again. And the only thing I'm really concerned about coming out of this is hopefully Tamatonga is more over in some way. And hopefully the match does deliver. And hopefully they have something cool planned for him the next night at New Year's Dash, I guess. Would you guys be opposed to just gun stun one two three Tamatonga beats this guy in like 10 seconds? I would love it. 
It's fine. I think that's the way to go. Or somehow Carl Anderson wins and the never open weight championship just disappears forever. That would suck. Yeah, I don't want that. <laughs> that would really suck. One or the other. <laughs> no, it's not fine. I, I just don't the... want to. I, I honestly, I don't want to talk about Carl Anderson anymore. So either he takes the belt and throws it in the trash on Raw, or he loses it here. And either way is fine with me. This is like one of the most storied titles in in the company. So is the history. IC. That... I'm tired. I. I'm the, tired. Of, you know what? The never I'm tired of trying. More... I'm trying to. I'm tired of trying to remember the uh, the acronym. And <laughs> I've never, I, I don't know what the it's really hard is. Yeah. It's a lot. I am at the point though, where like, I would be okay if the never titles went away just in general. That's what just, I'm saying. But I just don't want it to go away with Carl Anderson. Like that would be shitty. If he's the guy that wins it and takes it away and then throws it in the, uh, ew, it's gross. Yeah. No. New blood evolution, valiantly eternal and radical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, but no, yeah, I, I, I th- I'm with you, Jeremy. Yeah, I New think blood, Carl Anderson. <laughs> yeah, I think Tama. This is Tama all day. Also, we know that this was the second contracted date that Carl Anderson had left, and yeah, I think it's going to be whether the match is long or short. It's going to be, I think, set up as a moment to put over Tama Tonga. Tama's done great work this past year, and I think. Also, I don't think he should have ever dropped the Never title in the first place, so hopefully it's can get, get yeah. a, a nice run with this going into to next year. I think there's a lot of uh, interesting things you could do with him now as a face, and then I think there's a lot of interesting heel guys you can put him up against to challenge for that Never title, and I think he can do a good job of kind of re-elbing that title back up to what it was. I know the talking shop and the Tama's Island stands would love nothing more than for these guys to blow off their multi-year feud but uh it, you know in in impressive fashion of some sort storybook ending but fuck all that this has been such a, a nuisance and uh just a something i've hated so much so i would be completely fine with tama just going out there looking like a star and just blowing this guy out and then just sending him back home with his tail between his legs and let's just move on yeah and we got a question here from uh, Specialist Lab six two nine five. Will Carl Anderson leave after Wrestle Kingdom? Yes, yes, yes. He he works for WWE. Yeah, this is this will be the, the last time we see this man in this Aurelian Blue. I heard they're working well, together though. Unless unless <laughs> unless the partnership in the Forbidden Door is really being open, you know. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah Yokohama's really a crossover show with uh, WWE. That would actually oh. be fun as hell. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I I wouldn't be opposed to that, being because that would that would rock. There would be if you got the actual stars. I mean, like we need to get past Jake Carl. Paul. We yeah, actually, <laughs> we need. To I get mean, past- I'm my bad. Logan Paul, um, both, both Pauls. <laughs> you get Stone Cold All Steve three Austin, Pauls. The Rock. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I heard The Rock's coming back too. Vince no. McMahon, <laughs> Pat McAfee, all the yeah, guys that got over at WrestleMania, the, the, the young the stars. Actual, well, no, the actual stars that were. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> John oh. Cena. That would be a well, great show. We still, we still need Cena Tanahashi some, <laughs> at some point in everyone's life. <laughs> you think any chance that uh, AJ Styles uh, shows up to second Carl Anderson here? Oh, that'd be kind of cool, actually. 
Why? I don't know. They even group together. Yeah, they're, they're the club. Here's my question: If this man is so convinced that, okay, this man thinks the world is flat, but he but he's traveled to Japan. How does he not? How does he not figure that out? You know what I mean? Like just with the, just gonna put it out there. That man's been dropped on his head quite a few times. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> all those all those Pele kick landings. Yeah. Uh, all the other, all the other observable planets in the entire known universe are round, but ours is flat. That makes sense. <laughs> well, you see, it's like a disc. So yeah, it looks round. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's just really well shaded. Yeah. Uh, oh man. So talking about the uh, next title matchup here, we have the crowning of the first NJPW World. TV champion with the tournament finals as the son of strong style Renderita will take on the submission master Zach Saber Jr. Don't be surprised if we get a Shibata appearance at, in some form or fashion during this match, just considering the history of both of these competitors. Um, yep. I think obviously a Renderita win is the de facto feel-good moment with him being the young talent and him coming back from excursion and the whole tournament kind of being booked and feeling like it's a makeshift title built specifically for him like the U30 was for Tanahashi. But Zack Sabre Jr. is, number one, never won a singles title in New Japan. Number two, the senior guy to Ren Narita's rookie. Number three, just recently left a... a dissolving um suzuki goon and that kind of changes some of the feelings and the optics around this title and i think there is a way where if he does win the title that could also be a feel-good moment as well it also could be a tragedy which they love to book in new japan and you know it, it, i think that this truly is a 50 50 pick situation where there is no wrong winner or or loser Either guy winning would be a, a great choice for a first, you know, champion. But if Renderita did lose, it gives him something to chase, kind of like what I've argued with Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega. So, you know, I don't think you could ask for a stronger first champion to establish the title lineage than Zack Sabre Jr., you know. Um, so there is that aspect to it, but I'm really torn. I'm really torn on this one. What are you guys thinking? Yeah, I don't have a read on who's going to win um, because I think the match, this has this has match, maybe match of the night, kind of sleeper match of the night that you weren't expecting to be great or people weren't expecting to be great if you haven't been paying attention. That just shows up and just kills it. So um, I love both these guys. I think kind of neither of them have direction right now, right? Because Zach is... Um, coming out of the Suzuki Goon situation and Ren Narita is just coming back into the fold here. So either way, whoever wins it then at least has, you know, some runway to to build their character to whatever it's going to be. Um, you know, I I would love to see Narita win. Um, but I think Zach might actually serve the purpose of the title a little better in the sense of these 15 minute matches that are really interesting that get posted on all the social media or new Japan world for free. So I wouldn't doubt that he's earmarked to be the first 
um, the first champion and maybe Renarita circles back um, and ends up ends up winning it. So because I, I, you know, I look at everything through the lens of, you know, the writing on the wall that the company really wants to build their Western audience back. And I think Zach's a guy that potentially they want to build that around. So um, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me to see Zach take it home here. So I think if I had to pick that's that would be my pick in a really good, probably 14 minute and 50 second match, because these all go <laughs> yeah. they, they all go into the drama zone of, of the time limit. So. Um, but I think that now that we're out of the tournament, I think that in a vacuum is a lot different than that, you know, three matches a night or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, like you guys, I'm kind of torn too. I, I would love, yeah, for Red Narita to win this thing. Um, but I think they did a good job in building up Narita on the path here. So even if he loses here, I don't think it's a, a complete, like, down step for him. Had this been, like, his, like, debut match from excursion and he lost i wouldn't be so happy with that but on the road here he defeated ishii and sonata he's defeated you know top upper mid card guys um so i think you know clearly that's a, a great establishing of him right there so losing the saber somebody who's been challenging for the iwgb title the last couple of years you know he challenged okada this year challenged chingo last year he's a guy that they've been pushing in that main event scene so i think losing the saber after beating Ishii and Sonata, it's not, not a bad place for Narita. Like you guys mentioned, it gives something for Narita to chase after, to, you know, go after Zach. And so, and again, with these quick, you know, 15-minute matches, either guy can kind of catch each other with, like, a, a wacky roll-up or some kind of crazy pinning situation where it kind of leaves it open for rematches, too. Like, all right, you kind of caught me off guard here, and I think it's going to be a pretty compelling matchup, and I think it's going to be a really fun sprint. There's also the uh, domestic versus Gaijin factor here, too. And, I mean, when you look top to bottom, there's a lot of situations where you've got uh, domestic versus foreign talent. And there's got to kind of be some balance to that as well. I'm sure they're going to have, you know, not I'm not going to say like overwhelmingly majority domestic talent, but they're not going to have all foreigners beat domestic talent on the show. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so there's that argument as well that they they said the titles for young challengers young up-and-comers like you mentioned jeremy he doesn't have to hit him with his finisher he could catch him with whatever and pick up the win and they might just want to do exactly what it seemed like they were doing in establishing renderita as a new force in new japan and just put the title on him yeah yeah i mean also this could, could go either way and i think there's compelling things you could do with either guy I'm very excited for this match. Just I, I love the way both of these guys wrestle. From the moment they announced the tournament, this is the finals I wanted to see. It's taken it was a great tournament and it's the anticipation, just the wait has kind of sucked, but now we're here and I can't wait to actually see it unfold. Um with that being said, I am going with Zack Saber. Uh, <laughs> I'm either going with Zack Saber Jr. or I'm going with Renarita. One or the other. <laughs> one of those you don't think you don't think the first championship match goes to a draw? It might go to a draw. That'd be crazy. Might, and yeah. they and might restart it. Coin. No, flip a coin. Oh, that's just, right. Oh, yeah, the flip. coin flip. <laughs> oh, my god. They gosh. might shoot flip a coin because it doesn't matter which of them wins. <laughs> oh, that'd be kind of sweet, actually. <laughs> that, would, that would suck. <laughs> oh, I don't I, know. Uh, listen, I thought they were going to do the coin flip at least once, right? They should have. They sh- Yeah. Hmm. Should have been with Tai Chi. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, let's move I'm gonna, on. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Ren Narita. What do you guys? What are you guys saying? I already said. I think I think if I had to choose, I choose Zach. Because just for the promos. Yeah. 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 I'm gonna. I'm, I'm going with Zach. I'm yeah. going with Zach. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Zach also. But I'm so I'm so torn. But I, I'd be very happy if Narita won. Uh, so next matchup for the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Titles. FTR defends against Bishamon. We know that FTR, they won the titles uh, back at Forbidden Door in that three-way match uh, against um, Jeff Cobb, Great O'Conn, and Rapungi Vice. And also having that great defense against Aussie Open at Royal Quest 2. And then they defended against um, Ocon and Cobbley. That was at a Battle Autumn. So now here making their third defense up against the, the World Tag League winners in Bishamon. Go to Yoshihashi. Bishamon just winning uh, World Tag League this year. They won World Tag League last year. It won the belts in the Dome. Like we talked about on the Road to Tokyo Dome, they beat Tenkoji. So clearly, you know, New Japan has really been pushing Bishamon as the, you know, the, the top domestic tag team. They got matching gear. They got new entrance song. So New Japan has really been going all in on Bishamon. And now they're they're facing the, the you know, the quote unquote top guys, the top tag team from AEW FTR. I am of the opinion. Um, I think a lot of people are expecting FTR to do the favor to Bishamon here, drop the titles, and kind of move on, just like the same way that they dropped the ROH titles to um, the Briscoes recently, which, by the way, was just incredible. Five stars. One of the easiest five stars I've ever given in my life. Um, But I think we are still headed towards an eventual... Aussie Open versus FTR title match. And for that reason, I am picking FTR to retain the titles in a situation where it looks like Bishamon's going to win and, you know, they've been geared up and, and, you know, set up for the big win. But we've already seen them kind of do that in the Tokyo Dome before against Dangerous Techers last year. I think FTR are going to retain. And I think we're going to see FTR come back and defend the titles against Aussie Open and lose the titles to them. Yeah, I think FTR. I think FTR wins this one. I think that. Um, I just don't think this is that. I don't think this is the moment where you where you take the titles off of them. I don't know that Bishamon and I don't. I, they haven't really built much up here except for the World Tag League, and that's a team that you, they're going to keep going back to. So and but I don't think they're the ones to take it off of FTR, and I think that very potentially you end up doing FTR versus Aussie open, say in battle in the Valley or something like that. Maybe you run that in the U S for the next run. And then maybe they come back and do it in Japan because at some point you got to run that, that match in Japan, but you could do that on the fly. I think they do it at Yokohama. Oh, you just think they bounce it right back. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Aussie open is going to come out, challenge them sure. either the next night or that evening. And, and we do it in on January 23rd. I don't I don't think FTR are going to be longtime champions. Right. So I think they're going to drop the title soon, but just not to Bishamon. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I mean, at this point, if they retain and then don't drop them soon, then I think the tag titles will be held hotches even longer than they've kind of already been. So, yeah, I think we're gonna, we'll are gonna we get, yeah, they beat Bishamon, Aussie Open walks out, challenge them, rematch set up for Yokohama Arena, and then you could do the third match in this trilogy at Battle in the Valley. Like you mentioned Chris, and then you kind of have Aussie Open beat them, win the feud, 
Um, and they get that big rematch in the United States as well. So yeah, so should be a really fun matchup here. Uh, Bishamon's been doing solid work, and so I think they'll gel well with FTR and have a good tag team matchup here. Also, you know, all criticisms aside of you know FTR, they are on an incredible roll when it comes to in ring action, and they seem to really understand the New Japan tag team style. Um, and they 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 worked really well the last time we saw them face off against uh, Khan and Cobb. So I think this match will rock and actually probably go down as one of the better heavyweight tag team title defenses we've seen in the dome in quite a while, because typically those heavyweight tag team title defenses sort of underwhelm at Wrestle Kingdom. I think this will be one of the better ones. Yeah. So next up, the IWGP women's title match. So we'll have the first defense of this new title as Kyrie will defend against Tam Nakano. Of course, uh, Kyrie first winning the title back at Historic Crossover, defeating uh, Mayu Iwatani in the final of that tournament to become the first ever IWGP women's champion. And now we're getting this uh, big matchup here uh, against Tam Nakano in the Tokyo Dome. I mean, if this is anything like the championship match at um, Historic Crossover, then this will be a banger, too, because um, that match rocked. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. You know, I, I don't know that much about these wrestlers. I know more about Kyrie than 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 anyone, really, that's involved in the IWGP women's title so far. But that championship match at, at Crossover was so good that I it's got me excited for this. Plus, you know, the obvious you know, probably post-match situation that I guess is is what everyone's expecting. Um, that'll be pretty neat too. So um, hopefully it's a moment. Yeah, so obviously we, we talked about the last couple of weeks now that the rumors of, you know, Sasha Banks, a.k.a. Mercedes Renato, Mercedes Monet, whatever name she's going to end up using, um, she's it's been reported by PW Insider that she's in Japan or she's been in Japan this whole week. Um, so I think it's pretty clear that she's probably gonna show up here at the Tokyo Dome and potentially call out the the winner of this match. Obviously, that will be um, you, know, you know a huge kind of internet breaking moment there and getting a lot of buzz and a lot of Westerners kind of jumping over to see what uh, Mercedes is gonna do here. And obviously, a Mercedes Kyrie matchup would would be uh, pretty dope. Yeah, I mean, I don't know very much uh, about Tam Nakano. I know that James Boyd from One Nation Radio, who is our resident Joshi expert slash stardom expert here on the Social Supports Podcast Network, um, he he loves Tam Nakano. Like she, she's one of his absolute favorite wrestlers that are out there, and he's got pretty great taste when it comes to this genre of wrestling. Um, I I. On the flip side, I have seen some, you know, um, Joshi, you know, enthusiasts that aren't that high on Tam Nakano for whatever reason. I don't know why. Um, but with that being the case, both of these uh, two women, their reputations kind of precede them. And I, I, I know a lot about Kyrie, obviously, and I, I've heard a lot about Tam Nakano. So I am excited for the match. The, the, the two drawbacks are this is lower on the card and with how how many matches there are I do wonder how much time they're actually going to be given that being the being said I think considering the vast talents of both uh principals involved they're probably going to go out there and try to maximize their minutes 
similar. This kind of reminds me of like when the Rev Pro title was on the line between Ishii and Zack Sabre. They went out there and they had a near four-star 10-minute match, which was really spectacular. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if they go out there and they put in, have a sub-15-minute banger, you know. Um, the other drawback is there is some attention being taken away from the match by Mercedes, Monet, slash Vernado. Um, but that that can't really be helped. She's one of the biggest you know women stars in all of wrestling today. And the idea that she's showing up on the show is really, really exciting. I do wonder, you know, because we've heard contractually she's not able to take bookings or make appearances prior to uh, January 1st. But I'm wondering if once that happens and they cross that threshold, if it's not wise for New Japan slash Bushi Road to just start making the making it known that she's going to be there and they start advertising her hev- heavily. If I was them, I would get all of that queued up and geared up. And if you're able to do that, that's what you do. And you make it known like Sasha Banks is going to be on the fucking show. She's making an appearance. And then that that would even drive up more interest in the event and in the brands, which is what you're trying to do by getting her involved in the first place. So um, if they're able to do that, I would say that they should really try and go for that. I mean, they they do seem to be taking the kind of AEW approach to like wink, wink, nudge, nudge that this is happening, right? Uh, so, like on social media and things of the sort, there's been some clues that are that seem to be leading that direction. So, I maybe they announce it January first that she's going to make an appearance. Maybe they don't, but I think we may see the hints heat up as you go towards January fourth, if nothing else. Definitely. And yeah, I think that uh, Tam and Kyrie are going to have um, a really fun matchup here. I agree. It's probably, it'll probably be like a 10 minute kind of sprint. They'll probably work at more of a high speed uh, style. And I think it'll be a really fun matchup. And I'm, I'm guessing Kyrie retains so you can do Kyrie uh, versus Mercedes. Maybe you do that at Yokohama or New Beginning or Battle in the Valley has been rumors of, of that. So uh, looking forward to see what's going to happen next with this uh, title scene. Same. And this is a first time matchup between these two ladies, which is really great too. And, you know, Tam, I do know she's a former wonder of stardom champion and she held that title for nearly a year. So, you know, this is a pretty um, high profile, high caliber first tile defense for Kyrie, which is pretty great. So, yeah, um, I can't wait to see her and uh, Mercedes Monet face off at the end <laughs> of this match. Cause I think she's retaining Kyrie. Yeah. So then the, Opening match on the main card will be for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Titles. The champions, Catch 2-2, will defend against the winners of the Super Junior Tag League, Leo Rush and Yo. Catch 2-2, they've been having um, a great year since they formed together as a team, winning those Junior Tag Team Titles from 6 or 9 and being very dominant in defenses against those guys and defenses against Bushi and Teton. And then they had a really good showing in a super junior tag league. And then this new team of Leo rush and yo brought together by our good friend, Rocky Romero. And they went out there, had a, a great super junior tag league, won the tournament. And now we have this uh, matchup set in the tournament. Um, catch two, two did defeat uh, Leo and yo 
in that opening night in Cork and Hall. Um, so big rematch here. That match was great. So this should be great as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Um, obviously, I didn't get to watch most of the Junior Tag League myself, but um, heard nothing but great things about you know Yo and Leo Rush as a team. And it just kind of feels like it probably is time. Uh, they like to do a lot of title switches on dome shows like this. So I think we're going to see a fantastic uh, match between all four people. It's a great way to open the show up, you know, having a high octane, super fast paced junior style tag team match to set the show off. And I think we are going to see new champions here. Yeah. Classic Tokyo dome opener to the junior heavyweight tag titles. And honestly, these guys, they're motivated to be in that lane too, which I think is kind of neat because sometimes you get the guys that are kind of a mishmash tag team or, or they just needed to get them on the card or they're kind of a wacky, you know, a wacky thing. So, but these guys are here, they're here to go. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited for that bell to ring and this to be like the, you know, the real start of, of the, the main card of wrestle kingdom. And you're getting kind of the classic starter, which is a 10 to 12 minute junior heavyweight tag match with really some, some really good wrestlers. Um, you know, Leo rush has been really fun. Yo has, new life just by being associated with you know somebody who's new and interesting and then catch two two has been really good really good and tjp you know kind of a twilight run here maybe i don't know you know i don't know what he's what his plans are for the the rest of his career but i love that he's found a lane here so um yeah this will be this will be a neat one and, and i think it's gonna set things off with the right energy yeah, they did a good job also kind of building this up, too, on the Royal Tokyo Dome. Uh, Kira did do an angle where he attacked Yo um, after the, the main event. So building a little bit of heat up there, kind of making this a little bit more personal than just, you know, a tournament reward match. So they built some heat up there. Should be The, the first match was great. Should be a really fun, high pace. you know, like you mentioned, traditional Wrestle Kingdom opener, getting the show started off on the right foot, the right momentum, and we're really looking forward to it. And I think, yeah, I think Leo Rush and Yo will win. I think they've been waiting for a long time to get Leo in Japan, so I think they'll capitalize on that. Those guys will win and become uh, junior tag team champs, and then you could always run it back with them and catch 2-2 at Yokohama or at New Beginning or wherever. So then the uh, the main event of the, the pre-show is going to be the Antonio Inoki Memorial six-man tag team match. So you'll have Togi Makabe, Satoshi Kojima, and Yuji Nagata facing off against Tatsumi Fujinami, Minoru Suzuki, and Tiger Mask. And uh, for this match, fans will be given red glow stick bracelets um, at 220A. 220 Eastern, when this match is going to be happening, uh, which will be obviously a tribute to Inoki with red being his uh, color. So it'll be a special way to kind of, you know, represent um, Inoki during that. Yeah, I think that that sounds like it's going to be really cool and very meaningful. Um, also, you know, considering how great New Japan is with stuff like this, I wouldn't be surprised if they have some sort of. Um, probably not like a full ceremony, but they'll probably have some sort of cool video package or something of that sort prepped up to kind of briefly honor Anoki. I know that they already did that earlier in the year, so I'm sure it won't be as lengthy or, you know, as 
you know, if, uh, whatever. It's not going to be the same sort of impact as the one they did initially, but they probably will have something like that queued up, which will be cool. And then, yeah, it, seeing the entire like Tokyo Dome like bathed in red to kind of like commemorate to Antonio Noki is really cool. Plus, you know, seeing all the old guys and the dads just kind of go at it and, um, you know, put forth their best effort to kind of honor Anoki. It, it's, I think it's going to be a feel good moment. Yeah. I think this will be a really neat, um, it, you know, a, a little bit more of a meaningful match on the pre-show to really lead you into the, the main show. Um, one thing you did say two twenty AM Eastern is when this match would be happening, which means that's about an hour after the pre-show starts. Um, so I guess that they've actually got it pretty well timed out if they actually already know what time it's going to be. Um, but yeah, the main show then starts at 5 p.m. Japan, which is what time? 3 a.m. Central? <laughs> I don't know. That, no, no, that doesn't sound right. No, that's that not be... right. That's not right because of uh, daylight savings. So five here, I got it. Five p.m. I want to give give the people what they what they want here. Five p.m. Japan is two a.m. Central, three a.m. Your time. So that makes sense. That two twenty would be about the time okay. that this match would hit the ring. Yeah. Yeah. So two twenty a.m. Eastern is about when this this match will hit the ring, which is after the two other opening matches. But this is probably the one to see, depending on how you feel about a good Rambo. Um, you know, maybe that's maybe that's the time to set your alarm for, um, because I think that'll lead into a, you know, it'll lead right into the uh, the main the main card. Yeah, it should be um, a fun matchup here honoring Anoki, and have no idea who who will get the win here. I mean, I think I guess maybe Tiger Mask is probably gonna get the pin since he's a junior, the only junior in this matchup. So yeah, maybe you know GHC Tag Champ Kojima. It's a Koji Cutter on that man gets the win. Coach just hit him with a lariat. <laughs> I, I would have Togi Makabe just fucking lose just because it's Makabe. Never. <laughs> uh, then the other two kickoff matches, we will have the New Japan Rambo, which is you know New Japan's version of a Royal Rumble. And just like in previous last couple of years, it'll come down to the final four. And then the final four ent- um, survivors will then move on to New Year's Dash to then uh, fight for the provisional KLPW 2023 title. That's right. That's right. We belt. talked about earlier. Title belt. Title belt. That has but, been but, but they're not really a champion. They're just a provisional lineal champion. They got to hold that belt until the end of the year, and then they win it, and then they take it off of them. Yeah, so at this time we don't it's great. It's great. <laughs> we don't have any announced entrance at this time, but you can probably look at the people who are not on the main card and do some guesses of who will probably be on there. I'm expecting we'll you probably see like Jeff Cobb, Ray O'Conn, uh some of those Tony guys. Atlas. <laughs> what? <laughs> Cheeseburger. I actually you just hey you just never know. Someone cool might show up like that, you know. Yo, there are usually a lot of surprises. So yeah, there there might be some, you know. Some Wacky. Ring of Honor representation for no reason at all. Yeah, so I'm winking. <laughs> Dalton Castle might show up, you know. 
The boys. The boys, yeah. The boys. <laughs> Beer City Bruiser. Hey, Gato loves Beer City Bruiser. <laughs> so that, that could actually happen. He might just sign that. But, man. you know, last year we had some pretty cool people show up, and we got Shima in it, so you never That's know. true. Yeah. So. Lindemann? Lindemann could go in this one. Yeah. I'd be fine with that. That'd be cool. Or okay. to at least go to the final four. And then the KOPW championship provisional championship matches then the only thing announced for the following night of new year's dash right right yeah so the only thing i'll be doing aside from just enjoying it because i like a good rambo i will be paying attention to who does not show up in the rambo because sure. if there's any big names that have been left off this card like a shingo or an elp or something like that that just don't show up in this then i'm gonna be like the alarms will be going off like okay what are these guys either up to on this show or what are they doing maybe in AEW that same night? Because I'm, I'm still kind of holding out hope that maybe those guys do something cool to cross over. I don't know. Yeah. And then the, the first kickoff match will be the three minute exhibition debut of Bolton Oleg taking on Rie Oiwa. We know that um, Oleg is a uh, accomplished amateur heavyweight wrestler that's uh, been brought in, has been training in the Nogue Dojo. They introduced him at Declaration of Power um, back in October. So now they're kind of giving him a little three-minute exhibition spotlight here against Oiwa, who's also a pretty accomplished amateur wrestler himself, too. So should be a fun Look, little opener. I- I'm an Oiwa guy all the way, but they're not going to bring this guy out and have him do a special presentation to introduce him to the crowd and then give him his own special debut match at wrestle kingdom on the undercard to not go out there and fucking savage. Oi was <laughs> this guy to just suplex the shit out of Oiwa and pin him in, you know, and you don't think it's a, they three, might go the time limit. It's a three minute time limit. They're going the time limit. Yeah, they but, might go the time limit, but he's going to do some shit to Oiwa where you're like, oh fuck, this is the <laughs> next big thing. Like this is a Kitamura, this is a Brock Lesnar type figure. Like that's what they're doing. Hey, we didn't talk about the concurso. Mm, oh yeah, god. The uh, annual uh, bodybuilding competition. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about the concurso. Dude. <laughs> fine. But go look at Oiwa's thighs. My God. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This man has trunks for legs. I mean, yeah. holy cow. I mean, there were some things. To... There were some really? other stuff that I was looking at where I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it is it is what it is. But this I, is the horniest concurso they've ever done. It's pretty horny. Yeah. Um, but man, he's got, I mean, he has some thighs on him. I was just, I, I mean, wild. I was there, like, there was some stuff like, uh, for instance, like, what is Doki doing wearing a mesh T-shirt when he's like jacked like that? Jacked? What, that man what is, is going lean. <laughs> that man is a lean cuisine. Well, maybe Holy you know, cow. leaves Doki and he can take the the mesh off. Yeah, now he can he can <laughs> have All, the look. Also, like, I don't even think El Lineman's part of New Japan, but he somehow is in the concurso and like and he's if going to we're win. Being honest, he should win. He like, should he, win. He should win. He might not, but he should. Yeah, that concurso. What's going on with Taguchi? <laughs> Bro. He's getting weirder. He's yeah. only getting weirder. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did pop for uh, Kojima's drawn on abs. That was yes. pretty funny. I'm not we're not gonna have that discussion. I'll leave that to the J cast, but uh like yeah. there was some there was some package stuff going on in this thing that I was like, what the what is happening? <laughs> 
So, you know, yeah. fan service. <laughs> <laughs> this is cool that Oleg gets a debut in the dome though. I think that's a that's a neat hat tip to where obviously they see him going. So I'm excited to I'm excited for that. Yeah, it should be fun. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm predicting, yeah, the three minute time limit draw. Yeah, I mean, if you just think about it, top to bottom, the under you know, oftentimes the pre show has a lot of bullshit that just doesn't matter. But in this case, we got a tribute match, a, a, a really interesting debut, and then the Rambo, which has title implications. So it's all pretty important. And when you add that up with the overall show, this is an incredible looking, you know, Tokyo Dome. Yeah, and so yeah, you guys can watch it on NJPW World, uh, one twenty a.m. Eastern Start Time. That's when the the kickoff show will be uh, starting there. Or if you want, you could uh, just wait, watch it on delay because we've got some news about Access TV. They announced uh, this past Wednesday that matches from Wrestle Kingdom 17 will be coming to their airways in tape delay fashion to kick off a new 45 episode order for the coming year. So for five weeks, starting on January 12th at 10 p.m. Eastern after Impact, NJPW will present hour long episodes featuring. Matches from Wrestle Kingdom 17 commentated by Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton. Their first two episodes already set. January 12th will be Osprey against Omega, while the January 19th episode will be uh, the main event of Jay White and Kazuchika Okada. So, for whatever reason, if you don't have NJPW World, you don't want to sign up for NJPW World, you can wait and watch it on delay on Access TV. Um, they also announced that the, the re-air of the 2017 Wrestle Kingdom 11 main event between Okada and Omega will play on Thursday, January 5th at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. So, you know, keeping the things going with Access TV, even though it's getting, you know, like 60,000 viewers, they're, they're still chugging along. <laughs> While they, there's probably a lot of hope that there's going to be a, boost in viewership coming up with everything they're doing to try to draw in, you know, US and, and Western fans. So I think that's good. Yeah, it's definitely. good that they've announced they've already announced what's going to be on these shows too, which I think is is neat. And I there's a segment of the fandom that watches NJPW via this access show. So you know, and if you could draw some of them in to, to that world subscription, then then you've won. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that wraps up our Wrestle Kingdom 17 previews and predictions. Uh, just a little schedule note. Uh, Josh and I will be planning on recording after New Year's Dash next week. So the show will be a little bit later um, in the week. Um, so just be on the lookout But you're going to get it fresh after the two shows. So there's a trade-off there, you know? Because mm-hmm. if, bef- if we did it on Monday before... Wrestle Kingdom, it's just gonna be a there's nothing else left to talk about. We did it here, it's done. Exactly. So uh real quick, uh New Japan Strong. They had the conclusion of the Nation tour and the, the last strong of twenty twenty two show opened up. We had uh the Lucha House Party making their uh, debut as a team here. Lindsay Dorado, Masca Dorada defeated uh C four, which is Cody Chun and Guillermo Rojas. Bobby Fish made his strong in-ring debut by defeating Kevin Blackwood. And then we had the main event, the strong openweight titles on the line, Fred Rosser defeating J.R. Kratos by referee's decision, 18 minutes and 44 seconds. 
guys uh, either of you check out Strong this week? I did watch it. Show was fine. You know, opening tag match was fun. Bobby Fish and Kevin Blackwood was very technical, hard-hitting, exactly what you expect from those guys. And then the main event was really great. J.R. Kratos and Fred Rosser, they laid out a pretty impeccable um, story and just the psychology. It was all there. It was very, very hard-hitting, very great. The, the, the key moment was Jer Kratos doing a gigantic dive over the top rope, all of the Undertaker onto Fred Rosser and, you know, several of the, uh, you know, stagehands or, you know, outside young lions, whatever you want to call them. Um, much better than top dollar. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then at the end of the night, uh, Fred Rosser was attacked by, pretty Peter Avalon who made his uh, NJPW strong debut, you know, cut a promo, beat up Fred Rosser, made it known that he wants to be the next challenger. Then the show broke down and pretty much everybody that was on the show started coming in. They all did a, a giant, you know, brawl pull apart at the end of the show. But the problem was there wasn't enough talent on the show to like really do that in a major compelling way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the way that WWE and, aw have done that where there's like 30 guys in the ring there was like 12 guys in the ring so it wasn't quite as impactful the one thing i will say before i kick it over to you guys like this show is just becoming as good as it was more and more irrelevant in the overall scheme of new japan and more and more disconnected to new japan proper just in general and given a lot of the things we are hearing, and I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens after January 4th, the announcement that Tony Khan is going to make for Honor Club and how that might potentially relate to New Japan Strong. But uh, it just feels like this is something that has nothing to do with New Japan in general anymore. So Abari just recently tweeted just the other day that Strong will be revitalized or Strong will be rebuilt in 2023. So there's something happening with strong they also don't have their next taping announced even mm-hmm. um the next u.s um event is the battle in the valley i think that's true i don't think i missed anything and um, they made a they made a big like deal about that show like that something big was happening yeah they did, yeah they did tapings i think this month that will, that will cover them for january right but battle in the valley is not till february so right, yeah um, but yeah, you got to figure there may be a taping in conjunction with the Battle in the Valley. Battle in the Valley happens to be in California just a week or two before AEW then runs Northern California. So, you know, and Tony Khan alluding to an honor club and something happening with New Japan, you have to maybe start to connect some dots there. Yeah, hmm. I mean, I would love if. New Japan pay-per-views went on Honor Club just for the fact that the production value might be better if it's going to be a, a Tony Khan production and we don't have to deal with some of the shenanigans we've had with uh, Fight TV this past year. I mean, we'll suck having to get another subscription, but you actually get, you know, probably better quality as far as production-wise for the pay-per-views. I'll save my speculations and comments on it for whatever news does end up coming out, but, um, you know, I... They need to do something, and especially with this, and then Tom Ashi running too. We don't really know. I haven't even watched that yet because I don't even know if it's important to, to watch it or not. You know? Yeah. 
Uh, we did have a couple questions here that just came in uh, from Election Commission 7252. It says, as this is the last episode of the year, do you guys agree with my top predictions for 2023? One, Kota Bushi returns after being out for a year and a half. You guys agree? No, no, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that's happening. I don't think so either. A second one, uh, it says, Taiji Ishimori, El Phantasmo, Yvonne Togo, Chris Bay, Good Brothers and Ace Austin, I predict another Bullet Club member this year. So he's saying that there was a new Bullet Club member every year. He's predicting another new Bullet Club member this year. I said that I think there will be new members in probably all the units as we go here, but there may be some more meaningful members uh, being floated around as we've kind of speculated about throughout uh, the rest of today. Yeah. I mean, yeah, as long as Bullet Club's going, they're they're always going to keep adding members to it. Then his last prediction, he says, Will Ospreay winning the G1 in the finals against Shingo Takagi? Mm, maybe, but I don't know about the Shingo piece because he's just so in flux right now. No. It's hard to say. There's a lot of people that are kind of due for a G1 win, and I feel like them going with Okada back-to-back the last couple of years has kind of fucked that up a little bit. Will Ospreay is definitely one of those guys, but they've got other people waiting in the wings, like uh, Jay White. You know, he's kind of do a G1 as well. So I don't know. And then plus you have all these young guys. That if you want to kind of start establishing them, I mean, obviously a G1 wins a, kind of a good way to do that. So but, that too. But I mean, the, the Osprey Osprey Shingo rivalry. I think a G1 final stage would be a great addition to the work that they've done with that rivalry i wouldn't be a, i wouldn't be opposed to shingo winning a g1 as well so yeah there's that yeah and then he also asked uh what team from the past would you like to see stay as a full-time team in new japan if you could offer them full-time contracts teams like the young bucks trent and chucky war machine briscoes etc i don't know I'd like to move forward set, set my set my eyes on things in front of us not behind us you know um <laughs> All, all those teams were great. I, I, I love all those teams for the most part. Um, I mean, I guess if, if I was trying to revitalize a team and bring them back from WWE, maybe War Machine. But, you know, after the Kushida thing, I'm feeling like these mishandled talents are becoming like they almost got that stink on them when they come back, you know? Yeah. I mean, the stink is named Carl Anderson, too. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. I mean, the and. And honestly, getting burned by Jonah, which I don't know if you guys talked about um, last week, but I mean, not burned. He had a great run, and I, I really actually love guys coming in and doing a an arc, right? Mm-hmm. But like, that's the relationship with WWE right now is like, it's not, that's not good, you know? All that's not good. So, um, but I, I think if I had to, pick from the group that you kind of threw out there yeah i mean the war raiders are war machine whatever the hell they're called now um they're viking raiders sorry <laughs> they're eric and ivan viking express wasn't didn't they have didn't they had like a night with like a terrible name viking experience i think it was viking there. experience <laughs> yes sorry it's a, <laughs> i don't want to experience any viking it's <laughs> a theme park ride um they would be, I mean, they were, they're so great when they were wrestling, you know, real matches and not trying to catch top dollar. Um, <laughs> so I would take that. Then, then again, they got a lot of bumps on them, a lot of time, a lot of age. And I feel like 
with us getting Aussie open, we got like a better version of them already. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Well, a younger version of them. Yeah, a younger, bigger, better version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, from this list, I'd probably say maybe just the Briscoes, because I mean, I guess, you know, ROH TV is going to be relaunched next year, but I think, you know, that's only going to be so, so much dates. Like they can fill the rest of their calendar with, with doing like New Japan. I think it'd be cool to kind of bring them in, face off with some teams there. Nice. Well, thank you for the questions, Les Commission. Well, last thing here, real quick. Recommended match of the week. Uh, last week for the excursion match, uh, I recommended uh, Shingo versus Taichi from the Takataichi last uh, show for the uh, KOPW. Yeah, um, so I, I still haven't caught the rest of the show. I've got a feeling, based on some of the reports we've heard, that there will be other matches on the show that we still need to look into for excursion match of the week. But uh, the main event was Shingo versus Taichi, and they had a lumberjack death match that was last man standing. So the rules basically were like, um, it was kind of like old school Texas death match rules where when you pin or submit somebody, then they then have 10 seconds to get up off the ground. So it's not like the WWE last man standing matches where someone falls on the ground and they just start counting incessantly. You actually have to score a fall then that person has to stand up within 10 seconds. Um, And then the lumberjacks were kind of there just to make sure that they stayed in the ring. They didn't utilize them too much, but I thought the interactions, they were sparse, but they were effective when they did go on the outside. Kind of just kept everything central. The crowd was great, uh, very heated. um, They they really want to see Taka win here over Shingo. And obviously these two guys have had a lot of great matches and recent memory with one another. And they went out there and they just fucking killed it. Um, I do know Dave Meltzer gave this match five stars. I'm not quite there. Um, I'm probably personally like in a four, four and a third, maybe if I'm being really generous, like four and a half, but I'm not totally sold. Normally when we, you know, nominate something for this category at the end of the year, it needs to be in that four and a half range. And I'm not, totally sold that this is going to be a nominee just yet but it is a strong contender the match was very i mean it's great these guys were striking the shit out of each other lots of quick pinfalls great storytelling they, they have awesome chemistry and um you know tons of suplexes if you haven't seen the match i would highly recommend it and the finish came when um tai chi seemed to actually have shingo's number for most of the match it was really just riding a wave of momentum but there was an exposed turnbuckle. He went for a finishing blow. He missed it, got thrown into the turnbuckle, got, uh, you know, lariated from the back, back into the turnbuckle. So he hit it exposed twice. Then he took a last of the dragon, one, two, three, and he couldn't get up. And the drama there, the crowd just was, you know, losing their shit, wanting to see him rise. And you had Miho Abe, like, willing everybody to just pound on the mat and, see her man rise and he almost did but then fell at the very end which is very tai chi very very apropos for a final touch uh taka tai chi event and uh i thought it was very effective great match if you haven't seen it i recommend it go out of your way catch this one chris did you see this whole, matchup yeah i did yeah the whole the whole show is really good um but if you only have time for the one match check out the main event but the uh the tag match with suzuki is just incredible in its own way yeah. also 
Um, so there's there's a lot of good stuff on on this card. So worth worth checking out. You see some new faces too in a different environment. So um, really really enjoyed the show. Yeah, the main event was awesome. I'm about like four and a half on it. Yeah, that was a really great match. I think Shingo and Taichi have great chemistry, had a great rivalry, and really helped elevate KOPW this year. Uh, for the recommended match, Josh, you recommended um, Shinya Hashimoto versus Kente Saki from uh, the Tokyo Dome show from January 4th, 1995 for the IWGP title. And this was a awesome matchup. This was like a, a Never style, obviously before Never, very hard-hitting very MMA uh, influence. I mean, Hashimoto's kicks are just so nasty. Like he was tearing up. He so. rules. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. And then um, Saki was doing a lot of crazy like power moves. Um, and Hashimoto obviously a bigger guy, so that was kind of cool to see. And then uh, Hashimoto's nose was busted open, and he was bloody. Had a bloody nose. And these guys were like, also I don't know the full backstory there, but these guys were hitting each other pretty hard. It was a pretty like stiff. Matchup and a lot of kind of MMA, like they were doing a lot of submissions. Really, it seemed like they were really like trying to like take each other out or maybe kind of prove who's a stronger guy. Um, and so really hard hitting. And again, you know, Hashimoto, his size, uh, the wheel kicks, and some of the cool stuff. And his finish that he did was, I think it was kind of similar to what you talked about, where you kind of do like that fisherman like DDT kind of yeah. thing. Um, so yeah, that was a, a cool finish and uh, got the win there. So yeah, really fun uh, matchup. Check out. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you uh, enjoyed that. So next week I will be recommended for recommending for the recommended match of the week. Um, or I'm sorry for the excursion match of the week, Kenta versus speedball, Mike Bailey from the wrestling revolver show season finale on December 3rd of this year. And that is available. I tweeted that out today. So if you haven't checked that out, it is available for, for free on YouTube currently. And then for the recommended match of the week, we're going to go to PWG All-Star Weekend 2016, Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega. And that match <laughs> is available out there. You can check that out. So that's a little match to watch ahead of the Tokyo Dome. Great. Well, it's been a long one, boys. Um, Chris, fill us in on your plugs and uh, what you got going on and every, where they can find you. I know you probably are have other appearances. Yeah, I'll be. I'm making the rounds. This is my first, uh, my first stop this week. But yeah, I'll, I, I will be on a couple of other podcasts coming up this week, talking about a lot of the same stuff with different perspectives, which is a very fun time for me. Otherwise, I don't know exactly where my Wrestle Kingdom preview is going to end up being posted, um, so I, I can't plug that. But I can plug Twitter, which is Twitter. Uh, at the Chris Samsa, T H E C H R I S S A M S A, and I will have all of my broadcast notes and statistics and history that I will be sharing with the broadcast team posted somewhere, um, TBD. So, um, and I will obviously share that on Twitter. And then during Wrestle Kingdom, I will be live tweeting each match with the kind of stats and notes for that match. So, um i do that every year and it's actually a really good time so if you follow me and you're looking for um some of the goods that maybe don't make the broadcast that maybe make you a little bit more engaged in the match definitely uh definitely drop a follow and 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 have me up on uh on one four nice yeah definitely follow chris check out all the great work that he's doing and that's gonna wrap things up for us here this week 
Next week, we'll be back to review Wrestle Kingdom 17 and New Year's Dash. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit social2bloods.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping the Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we're Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. On Instagram, at Social Suplex. On Reddit, on the Pro Black Guy. Y'all just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. Check out all the shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One of your radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd and Austin. And AW Match Guy, hosted by Sir Sam. And The Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Itchy Bon. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.